who is this idiot? Adam Curry, John C. Devorak. It's Thursday, May 3rd, 2012. Time for your Get My Nation Media Assassination Episode 405. This is No Agenda. Proud to be your confidential human resource here at Camp Mofo in the capital of the Drone Star State, Austin Tejas. In the morning, everybody, I'm Adam Curry. And from Northern Silicon Valley, where third time's a charm, I'm John C. Devorak. Second time's often good, too. Well, I figured I'd have that in there just in case you blew it again. (laughs) This is why people should listen live, because that's when you hear not only when we mess up, uh, or when I, I'll say it, when I mess up the beginning of the show, uh, but of course you also, uh, you you get to hear our beautiful and incredibly musical slide whistle concerto. (laughs) The worst. (laughs) I think we're getting better. (laughs) Yeah, well, that's still. We can take that on the road, brother. Great. It wouldn't make any difference. It's still a slide whistle. (laughs) Just practice. How's the patent coming for our, uh, for the, uh, what is it called? The uh, synthesizer. Uh, yeah. yeah, yeah, it's coming along. Yeah, we're moving, so, someone right along. Registered, we're moving along at our normal pace. Someone registered the domain name, but neglected to send us an email about it. Uh, he's probably sitting on it. <laughs> he's probably like, yeah, uh, it's like a patent Screw troll. Those two guys, uh, I hate that yeah. show. <laughs> <laughs> Wait until they come out with their synth slider. I'll screw them then. <laughs> I have the domain name. Yeah. Well, I have to say. Um, it's quite a lot of news going on. I mean, not not on television, of course. Oh, by the way, um, television now officially for the first time in what was it two decades that less people watch television, less hours per person per family per household. Yeah, I know it's been well. That's been a trend. It's been no, no, trending no, 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 that no, way. There's no reason no, no, for no, it no, to no. change. No, this is the, uh, the this is the first time Nielsen actually made a big deal about it. And uh, it's like 45 minutes, 45 minutes less per year or something. It's like 30 seconds a day less. <laughs> CNN, however, is officially dead. They're gone. I mean, I, I can't even watch them anymore. Oh, it's what Mickey calls mom news, which I think is an insult to moms. But um, yeah, they have uh, on average, it's now like 100,000 people watching. What? Yeah, oh yeah, it's, it's that bad. Sounds like tech TV. <laughs> In the morning. I don't need, did tech TV ever get past 80? I'm not so sure. No, I don't think so. I think uh, the typical uh, listeners were about 40. But we were beyond the asterisk, so there was a, there was enough numbers that you could right, count them. Right, right, right. Well, beyond the asterisk, asterisk is uh, minimum 10,000, I think. Yeah. I think that's what well, it is. Well, there are, there are shows that are on cable that are getting asterisk. Well, welcome to the Asterisk Podcast, everybody. This is uh, the No Agenda Show. Uh, some call it the greatest podcast in the universe. Uh, I'm Adam Curry, and in the morning to you, John C. Dvorak. And in the morning to you, and in the morning to all ships at sea and boots on the ground. And the feet washing ashore in the Vancouver coast. And let us remember our submariners, the ships under the sea, who are definitely tuned in and listening. Well, there's one guy. Well, we know of one. That's uh, that's good. And, of course, our chat room. Everyone's charged up, ready to go. Nice to see you there. Noagendastream.com, noagendachat.net. Speaking of uh, boots on the ground and uh, ships at sea and under the sea, 
I got an email from one of our listeners at Fort Stewart, where uh, our president was. Uh, remember, he uh, he went on stage again and and said, uh, "You got to marry up, marry up into the gene pool." Yeah, he says that all the time. Yeah. Uh, in the morning, Adam jumped up on the uh, on the on the gener- There was an interesting kind of anomaly. That uh, we brought this up on that Generation X3 show that, you know, with the kids. Yeah. Another Asterix program. Oh, definitely. <laughs> asterisk. I can't double, even say it. Asterisk. asterisk. It's double platinum asterisk. <laughs> so, uh, it's a hard word, asterisk. 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 So, yeah. Uh, it was interesting because uh, Dorian, the uh, female member of the panel, mm-hmm. She said that she they, they have an anonymous anonymous what's a an, an, uh, anonymous an anomalous an, anomaly an anomaly. She's what happens when you trying to you you might want to marry up, but both parties in the relationship both think they're smarter than the other person. So it's like, in other words, neither one you know you could have both parties thinking the exact same thing. Right? How could you marry up? If, like, say you both thought the other person was smarter. And you wonder why this is an asterisk show. Is yeah, it, it, <laughs> you had to see it. It was very funny. Yeah, it was you had to be there. Yeah, it was great. Well, let me continue with my email from Fort Stewart. Our uh, men and women serving there. From your comment on the last show about, quote, there are no listeners at Fort Stewart dur- <laughs> during the conversation about Obama, I would like you to know, <laughs> I would like you to know, there are quite a few here. Military and civilian. Just wanted to add, in our battalion of about 1,500 soldiers, when our commander asked who wanted to go to President Obama's speech, we had an astounding two volunteers. So we were all forced to go because no one supported him. What? (laughs) Yeah. So they had a battalion of 1,500. The commander says... Who wants to go to see the president? And two douchebags go, oop. You know what? Like they pull the hand back down. <laughs> like, whoop, whoop. I'm sorry. It was just Well, that's the old rule. Never, you know, those guys, that's a smart group of people because the old army rule is never volunteer for anything. Yeah. Oh, that's so, true. You know, who knows what you had to do? Maybe sweep <laughs> yeah. up after the guy? You don't know. So then they were forced. They were forced to, uh, to go. Forced, a forced march. <laughs> Isn't that awesome? I, I love it when we get uh, emails yeah. from our uh, from our military. That's a Japanese guy. Well, <laughs> he didn't understand the question. No, no, they forced march. It's a oh, I'm sorry, I did not know. Right. World War II reference. <laughs> so um, the campaign is in full force, man. This is uh, really quite amazing. The only thing that's been on uh, on the so-called news, which we're here to deconstruct twice a week for you, about two and a half hours each time is uh of course the you know now that uh, we celebrated the uh, first anniversary of the uh, killing of uh, Osama bin Laden um now of course it's perfect time to release the uh information the treasure tr- treasure trove the gold mine that we yeah. discovered in his ca- uh, compound in Abbottabad which, by the way, I'm quite pleased to hear that we are pronouncing it correctly, and not a single. There's only there was one guy. There was a discussion on, I think it was Face the Nation or something, and everyone. And you know, who's the who's the old guy? Bob something or other. Bob Vila. Schieffer. Was it Schieffer? Schieffer. And he's going Abbottabad. Everyone's going Abbottabad. And one guy says, "Well, I was actually in Abbottabad." I'm like, "Yeah, I bet you were because you pronounced it correctly, Abbottabad." 
Yeah, you think that these guys, you know, they have all these books. You know, the network <laughs> guys are supposed to pronounce everything correctly, unlike us. Yeah. Which, you know, we're just podcasters. Yeah, asterisk They never do. I Don't they ever go to the, the Gazetteer? <laughs> There's an NBC book on the topic that shows all the pronunciations. That very collectible book. Giant book of how to pronounce things. Mm-hmm. I don't know. No, of course they don't. Of course they don't. So, and well, so, I've got a couple of clips well, about this. Okay, well then, um, I have one. Actually, I have two of Aaron Burnett, but I, she's not even worth it. Uh, but that's, uh, you, you go, you. I thought you said CNN was dead and you're still... I didn't watch it. Someone sent it to me. But I have an ABC clip. But let's do your clips first because I'm going to win the coveted clip of the day award with my clip. Okay. Well, Early in the show. Right if off the you, bat. If you, if you are so confident that you will, then you probably will because I don't believe I have a clip of the day competitor. Oh. Well, then why did you... I just you, have some interesting clips. Why did you show up to the meeting then? So here we go. So let's start with... Uh, so I was getting the clips from... Uh, from um, C-SPAN? No, from the NBC, which no. is going to have a uh, a slant because NBC is just a promotion company for Obama. <laughs> but but there's the little things that slip. And Hillary and uh, is one of the people that you know she's so free you know in her way she yaks about things. I thought there was a little a little anecdote here by Hillary that, that, that drew in a piece of information I was unfamiliar with. Operations Command outlined a possible raid on the suspected bin Laden compound. I had 100% faith in the Navy SEALs themselves. Uh, you know, Bill McRaven, uh, the head of Special Forces, uh, had worked with us for months to think through every possible scenario. He's a guy who inspires a lot of confidence. And he's a no-nonsense guy. I remember the moment in the sit room, you know, someone said, well, you know, this sounds really dangerous that we're going to expose our guys and and what do we know is going to happen? And and he said, well, with all due respect, we've done this hundreds of times. Uh, Really? (laughs) Hundreds of compounds, huh? Or hundreds of bin Ladens? Which one is it? I wonder. I have no idea. It was never explained. Hundreds of times of what? You know, I was reading the uh, the White House Insider over there on the Ulsterman uh, blog, and uh, this is an old report. Uh, it was maybe it was six months ago or so, and he says, and this is all before all of this. You know, again, six months ago, he says absolutely not true that Panetta had already signed the order that he and Hillary Clinton. And Robert Gates, we're all on board. We, we, we want to do this. We're going to go in. And Valerie Jarrett, according to the insider, refused to let President Obama say, go ahead and do it. And it got so bad that Bill Daly, remember the Daly of the Daly crime family, Chicago crime family, that he had a one-on-one chat with uh, Valerie Jarrett. And only then did the president say, okay, I'll give the 48-hour. And then they actually pulled him off the golf course to come in to the sit room so it's it's completely the opposite and uh, it was robert gates who said look if you're not going to do this i'm going to resign early and we and he 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 kind of followed through on that and hillary clinton apparently said she was going to start leaking information that the president uh, couldn't make a decision that's from the insider that's pretty funny. Now, the way they explained it on this, this was a whole show, essentially, um, about this about this celebration. And I, I do have one more clip. <laughs> celebration. Hold on a second. Yeah. Let's, let's celebrate. <laughs> you didn't celebrate with me. Oh, brother. 
So anyway, uh, Mike Mullen was the one who apparently was the the, the real uh, let's do it this way, according Admiral, to this Admiral, show. Admiral. They also said that Hillary was wishy-washy. Uh, the uh, Gates wanted to just drone the place. <laughs> That's what Gates <laughs> I'm all for that. <laughs> yeah, he said, hey, why are we, what's the point? Let's just drone it. <laughs> so they wanted to blow it up, and then you couldn't figure it was the guy, you know, who it was that you killed, they say. Right. And then, uh, and then it was, they had to wait they had to go. He, Obama had to sleep on it, and then he came. It was the next day that he decided to do it. He had to sleep supposedly on it. the way well, it let went. Me sleep on it. But baby, there was. Baby. But Mike Mullen, who is the Navy guy that was the chief of staff, been replaced by an Army guy. But yeah. he and I, I, I like Mullen. I think he's seems like a straight shooter. Uncle he Don does likes have a Mullen. A little commentary here. Uncle that Don was on likes this Mullen show too. that kind of discusses the. Uh, the whole thing. The planning picked up speed, and by April 21st of last year, the chairman of the Joint Chiefs of Staff at the time, Admiral Mike Mullen, attended a dress rehearsal with a team of Navy SEALs at a mock compound they'd set up in the Nevada desert. Cool. I met that night every single member the night of the rehearsal, every single member that was on that mission. And I got to look each of them in the eye. They showed me in their execution of rehearsal and also in that steely-eyed uh, glare that they give you that they were ready to go. Did they suspect anything when the chairman of the Joint Chiefs came to watch them practice and drill? I, I never asked that question. I certainly uh, suspect that they did. When did they learn exactly what their mission was and who their target was. Uh, actually, you'd have to ask Bill McCraven that. But the, the, they're they're not idiots. I mean, they, they <laughs> knew uh, certainly how critical this was. They knew who they were and who they were working with. Hmm. Uncle Don really likes uh, Mike Mullen. He seems like a really nice guy. Yeah, like the kind of guy you want to have a beer with. Yeah, and then you wouldn't mind uh, working with in some way, shape, or form. This other guy, Bill McRaven, who they didn't—I didn't recall him interviewing on the show—is the guy who was behind the whole thing, and he was—he's uh, recently become a four-star admiral. He is the uh, the head. He's not only the head of special operations, and he's a Navy guy, which mm -hmm. is weird. He's—he's, he's, I think he's stationed at an Air Force base, so this is fishy. But he's a Navy guy, and he's—he wrote the book on special operations, literally. You can look him up on Amazon, and there's a book called Spec Ops, mm -hmm. and he has got to cool. hold the whole thing for anybody who wants to know how it works. Does it include, He's got the whole thing outlined. He's like one of those writer general admiral uh, types. Does it include crashing the helicopter into the fence? Is that I, part of I the, think the operation? Book was written, the book was written before this. Before helicopters. Helicopter. Yeah. All right, you ready for my clip? Because I have no clip. Okay, here we go. I'm yeah, ready. Yeah. I'm, I'm, All right. Now let me sit down. Let me sit okay, down. it's a long clip, and we'll have to stop it because it's just there's <sighs> so much in it is so funny. This is the completely compromised. I'm doing some stretching. I'm doing yes, some stretching. Good. This is the compromised ABC News. I need to remind everybody of that because yeah, NBC is a is a rah rah outfit for uh, the administration, but ABC is compromised. <clears throat> the president of news, uh, his sister is special advisor to the president. Can't say it enough. And uh, Diane Sawyer is uh, toasted, as usual. <laughs> she's hot, though, when she's toasted. I like her when she's, when she's she kind of... looks like this. She's kind of like, ah. And, uh, you know, so what can we do now that we have this treasure trove? We've got to bring that out to the front. And let's just rerun the script how was it a year ago that they brought out the the bombs in breast implants? Was that a year ago? 
that they tried that and we and everyone just laughed at him and nothing happened? I don't remember the date timeline on that, but it was a while. It was back. a while back. Okay, so let's uh, go to this report. Uh, our top correspondents, Diane Shire and uh, whoever that other dude is. Uh, went out and uh, just got all the info, but couldn't report on everything, of course, for national security. Let's hear, listen in. Good evening. As we come on the air, ABC News has learned that U.S. authorities are studying a new terror threat tonight. Members of Al-Qaeda using body bombs. Body bombs! Oh, boy! Explosives that have been surgically implanted in their bodies to evade security. Tomorrow, it will be the one-year anniversary of Osama bin Laden's death, making this week a time of heightened concern on the ground and in the sky. And ABC's chief investigative correspondent, Brian Ross, is here with these new details. All right, Brian. Brian. Diane, well, tonight, American and European authorities tell ABC News they fear al-Qaeda will use these so-called body bombs to target Americans overseas and U.S. flights coming in from overseas. All right, so notice that it's uh, American and European authorities. No one uh, mentioned by name, of course, because uh, that's not how it works. It's just a PR stunt. As a result, security at several airports in the United Kingdom and elsewhere in Europe and the Middle East has been substantially stepped up with a focus on U.S. carriers. And additional federal air marshals have been shifted overseas in advance of this week's anniversary of the Bin Laden raid. The plot is not so far-fetched. Medical <laughs> Don't you love it? The plot is not so far-fetched because you can imagine this could actually happen. Listen up. <laughs> Open your mind fun. to this. This is going to be good. Experts say there is plenty of room in the stomach area for surgically implanted explosives. <laughs> plenty of room in my... How's your stomach area, John? Do you have room for some <laughs> I don't C4? Have that much room. <laughs> yeah, I got plenty of room here. Now, let's look at the chart. We're actually looking at an, a body, an anatomical picture. Uh, uh, Picture of a body. The surgeon would open the abdominal cavity and literally implant the explosive device in and amongst the internal organs. Right in there. Right in between right, the intestines. Right in there. You see that spot You're right between all that poop there? Because, you know, when this thing goes off, it's going to make a big mess. Now, now, how can we tell? How can we tell if someone uh, has had this in surgically implanted in their stomach? The liver and the stomach. For the last year, U.S. authorities have publicly warned that the Al-Qaeda affiliate in Yemen and its master bomb maker, Ibrahim al-Asiri. Oh, write that down. Abraham Al-Asiri. He's the master yeah, I have a bomb maker. Of him here, right here. Yeah. The Saudi Interior <laughs> Ministry photo that's All right. on the ABC News All site. Right. Mark that down. Yeah, of course. Mark it down. Have been designing body bombs with no metal parts to get past airport security. How do you think you set one of these off? Do you have to like hit your stomach really hard or? Well, if there's no metal parts, I mean that your blasting cap is a metal part. Yeah, but he doesn't. No, so this, how would you set it off without a blasting cap? Uh, I, I, this is I'm not explained. Asking. I mean, I, as yeah. far as I know. Most of these things that are high explosives need a blasting cap. Well, uh, our, our international correspondent forgot to ask that question, but it doesn't matter because it gets better. We are treating the information seriously. A Siri actually put a bomb inside his own brother, who he's seen here hugging farewell for a suicide mission aimed at the Saudi Arabian intelligence chief three years ago. The Saudi official survived, but a series brother died in the attack. Was that ever uh, really explained that he had, was that a body bomb? I thought it was in his turban. I, I thought. It, well, I, I don't know. Now that you mention it, uh, I recall that it was in his turban, 
and that it went off and it blew his head off, but it, it was in his turban, not a body well, he bomb. can change the story, for God's sake. Yeah, please. We're ABC News. I'm Diane Sawyer. In public, U.S. officials say there is no credible information of an imminent attack. Wow, this, please, you didn't hear that. But today, White House counterterrorism official John Brennan called the al-Qaeda group in Yemen the greatest threat to the U.S. And it continues to seek the opportunity to strike our homeland. Brennan also revealed for the first time some of the details of Osama bin Laden's seemingly despondent writings discovered in his compound after the raid. Brennan said bin Laden admitted al-Qaeda had lost its way, agreeing that a large portion of Muslims around the world have lost their trust in al-Qaeda. Confessing to disaster after disaster in al-Qaeda plots, Brennan said that bin Laden urged his followers to flee to places away from aircraft photography and bombardment. As to this current threat, U.S. authorities say they have made adjustments in security screening to make it easier to spot. Now, how do we spot people who have body bombs, John? Just, just as a question, what would you think? Well, I think we have to, uh, well, first off, you check them for hemorrhoids. <laughs> okay. That's a good one. <laughs> well, you, you make them strip and see if they're lumpy. Okay. The body bombs. But how can they do it? You said there's no metal involved. No metal, but they've turned up some of the uh, radiation that goes into the body. Oh, we've turned what? up the radiation that goes into the radiation? body. <laughs> what, are they putting a nuke inside the guy? We've turned they're up the radiation. A bomb inside no, of him. He's talking That'll about do some damage. No, by listen, the way. No, he's talking about the body scanner. We've turned up the radiation. Oh, oh my goodness. How can ABC News... clip of the day, you're right. Oh, I'll, let me finish it before we get to the full-on uh, award ceremony. He actually, he actually says, oh, we just turned up the radiation. Wait a minute. The TSA told me when I went through recently, you know this is not radiation. Now it's radiation. What is it, ABC News? Just turned up the radiation. Just radiate the slaves. It goes into the body, as well as looking for people who might have had recent operations, might be walking funny. Eee, walking funny. <laughs> walking funny. <laughs> the Ministry of Funny Walks. I'm walking funny. Hey, 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 you're walking funny. Hey, Mickey, you're screwed. And you're walking funny. This is unbelievable. It gets even better. Or might have surgical scars. That's because one way. Because it has to have been done fairly recently. Can't, the explosives cannot stay in the body long, so it'd be a more oh, recent yes. operation to insert. <laughs> and I know, Brian, you were asked not to report some critical details, and you have not. We have not. There's some that we've left out for, for national security. For national security, yes, of course. Some oh, details, yeah. like it's a lie. Is that the detail you what left is this out? What's the deal about the, the explosives can't stay in the body for long? Why? Who says why? Was that explained, or is that just one of those details? Maybe you can know, be in there for a year, so the scar heals completely. I don't know, man. It's like this Maybe ABC there's a bunch news. of people roaming around with, the, you know, waiting for the scars to heal, so they can walk through without being caught. Let me give myself my award first here for a second. Clip of the day. They said they were going to crank up the radiation. So anyway, so <laughs> sub clip that. You got to pull will. that little sub clip out of the clip. I will. I will. So um, I heard Brennan talking. And this was really interesting. I'm like, hey, wait a minute. Brennan, and Brennan, of course, is uh, President Obama's um, uh, advisor on, uh, well, I have his exact title. Uh, this, you know, Brennan is an interesting dude. He's the chief counterterrorism advisor. Correct. And he, uh, after he left the Bush White House, he became CEO of the Analysis Corporation, which has been uh, rebranded to Soterra Defense. 
And now he's you know, one uh, of those little groups, that, you yeah, know, one of those little uh, oh, Rubicon yeah. operations. Yeah, you want to be in that group for sure. So I'm like, wow, you know, he, he did a speech and he did indeed. He did it at, um, where did he do this speech? Uh, the uh, Wilson Woodrow Library, International Center for Scholars. And then I'm like, okay, yeah, yeah. Uh, turn I on. tried to get a clip from that thing. I was watching that and I didn't find it. The guy's boring. Did you see the slave that got ejected? I, I don't think you saw the whole thing. Is this the one with the woman? Yeah. <laughs> that whole, that had, he was a 16-year-old boy, and you, you, yeah, yeah, you listen, killed him. I, I love that one? Yes. That slave that got ejected? Yeah, I love that. Yeah, I saw it. You didn't think it was it was worthy of, of letting people listen? Because ABC News certainly didn't think it was worthy of playing anything. You know, I had to th- I, it's a long story why I don't have that clip. And that doesn't matter. Here it is. Agenda, agenda and is increasingly looking to attack Western interests in Nigeria to, as in addition to Nigerian government targets. More broadly, al-Qaeda's killing of innocents, mostly Muslim men, women, and children, has badly tarnished... And I want, you, I want you to listen how, after she's ejected, how he just picks it right up and continues. ...its image and appeal in the eyes of Muslims around the world. Excuse me, will you speak out about the innocents by the United States? What about the hundreds of innocent people we are killing with our drone strikes in Pakistan and in Yemen and Somalia? I speak out on behalf of those innocent victims. They deserve an apology from you, Mr. Brennan. Well, how many people are you willing to sacrifice? Why are you lying to the American people and not saying how many innocents have been killed? Thank you, ma'am, for expressing your views. There will be time for questions and answers after the presentation. Shut up, slave! In Pakistan, who is killed because he wanted to document the drone strikes. I speak out on behalf of Abdul Rahman Al-Awaki, 16-year-old, born in Denver, killed in Yemen just because his father was someone we don't like. I speak out... On She's literally being carried now. On behalf of the Constitution, on behalf of the rule of law, I love the rule of law. I love my country. You are making us less safe by killing so many innocent people around the world. Shame on you. And they close the door. And thank you. Thank you. More broadly, Al Qaeda's killing of innocents, mostly men, women, and children, has been. Guys, unbelievable. Thank you. And he just continues. He did actually explain. The- he could have said something like, well, that was unfortunate or something light. No, no, he no, just, just prattling he just, on. Just rolled back the prompter. More broadly, he just starts over. <laughs> hey, Brennan, you're an a-hole. OK, that's just that's just the plain, simple fact of the of the blather. He, uh, he, but he did. Expl- I, I'm surprised you didn't. Uh, you didn't like the, uh, what he said because he did kind of explain how it works and how they decide when to drone somebody. The so-called COC, the chain of command. I mean, I think it's worth listening to. Okay. Well, I'm not going I to go into. I didn't get it because I was something. I don't. I can't explain why. I, something about this guy is just I can't really. He's boring, but you got to listen to him. Yeah, well, it's, it's real difficult for me to listen to this guy. Well, try it this time. Well, I'm not going to go into sort of how many times, what proportion. This, by the way, was the question and answer session. Maybe you missed that. Did you see the question and answers? No, I was gone after oh, okay. they called the woman right. off. Here's the question. <laughs> you know, of, of, uh, of in instances, there have been sort of either approvals or declinations of, of these uh, uh, 
recommendations that come forward. But I can just tell you that... You need a recommendation to get droned, apparently. There have been a, a numerous times where... Uh, individuals that were uh, put forward for consideration. I just spit my coffee. I let, they were put forward for consideration. <laughs> uh, really? Uh, for this type of action, it was declined. Oh, John, I'm so lucky. My consideration was declined for droning. Um, <laughs> you, you make reference to uh, signature strikes that are frequently reported uh, in the press. Uh, I was speaking here uh, specifically about uh, targeted strikes against individuals who are involved. Everything we do, though, uh, that uh, is uh, carried out uh, against al-Qaeda uh, is carried out consistent with uh, the rule of law, uh, the authorization of use of military force and uh, domestic law. Oh, hold on a second. Rule of law. Authorization of military force and domestic law. Uh, just so you know, it's completely legal. Uh, and we do it with a, with a, a similar uh, rigor. Uh, and uh, there are um, various ways that we can make sure that we are taking the actions that we need to. We need uh, some analogies. Give me an analogy, uh, Brennan. To prevent a terrorist attack. That's the whole purpose of whatever action we use, uh, the tool we use. Um, it's mm. to prevent attack and to save lives. <sighs> to save lives. We save lives by killing people. And so I spoke today for the first time openly about, uh, again, what's commonly referred to in the press as drones, remotely piloted aircraft. Hey, let's say it properly from now on. Remotely piloted aircraft, RPAs. This is not drones, you stupid plebs. Don't use that word. That can give you that type of, of laser-like precision. Laser-like. That can uh, excise uh, that uh, terrorist or that, that th excise. threat in a manner that, uh, again, with the, the medical metaphor, ah. that will not damage the surrounding tissue. And oh, it doesn't damage the oh, surrounding brother. tissue. And so what we're really trying to do, Al-Qaeda is a cancer throughout the world. It is it's a cancer! Metastasized. Metastasized cancer! In so many different places. And when that, uh, that uh, metastasis, uh, metastasized tumor uh, becomes uh, lethal and malignant, that's when we're going to uh, take the action Drone that it. we need to. Yeah. Last it's surgical precision, laser-like. Yeah, Excise. Cut out the cancer. Even though it doesn't really exist anymore. Cut out the cancer. Hey. I'm, I apologize to the rest of the world. I'm with that lady who got picked up by the big, big police uh, officer in a yellow fat uniform. Guy. Big fat guy. He, just, and he, he literally picked her up and carried her out. Yeah, literally. <laughs> I think it took a while for him to get a grip on her, though. I think he was letting her go blather for a while. I don't think in, so. In a, in a real, you know, one of these no. situations with a guy like Brennan on the stage. A taser. <laughs> there should be instant three guys, boom, she's out. Yeah, she should, should be just diving on her, tasing yeah. the crap out of her. Actually, yeah, right, you're right. Exactly. <laughs> Dive on her taser and pull her out of there before she can go on and on. We need on. to make a she point about this. for a long time. Uh, <laughs> You didn't see that on TV, did you? You used to see those things on TV. When something like that happened on the news, it would be like, wow, can you believe there, that someone did that? There was a thing that took place, and I, I think it was actually stems from, from streakers. Uh, it was in the <laughs> hey, what a, we need more streaking going on. This is there a good point. There used to be streakers in this country. Of course, now, it's, now you're, by the way, if you're a streaker, in other words, running around naked, you will be uh, cited as a, as a pervert and put on the sexual that that list. Yeah, uh, the, the the sexual uh, offender list, predators list, yeah. whatever it is. Your <laughs> predator, pedo bear uh, list. So so uh, 
at some point, I think it was during, uh, I think it was also it was a decision made by the sports department of many of these networks that says, do not, if somebody streaks across, do not put the camera on them under any circumstances because it was determined from high on, high above that it just encourages other people to do it. Right. So during the early days of streaking in the 70s. Did you ever streak, John? No. No, Are come you on. Me? Come on. Do I look like a streaker to you? Come on. Are you I don't know. You might be concealing some Al-Qaeda bombs in your body. Yeah, it would be dragging along the ground. We the know where the fuse is, that's for sure. You know, see, so missed that. So uh, <laughs> anyway. I heard it. The... Uh, they, so they would show it. They'd show the streaker. You know, they blew. They do a little blotch out of the, of the private parts, but they'd show the streaker running around the stadium and you know in a football yeah. game or something. It was yeah. hilarious. And then somebody awesome. would grab him and they'd haul him off. So they stopped doing that. And I think it's been just generally ex, uh, just a policy by all these stations not to show anything that's that's out of off script like this protest because it will just encourage others. And what, of course, what it does is it puts a damper on everything because people say, well, I guess it's okay because nobody's protesting. Well, that's not entirely true because uh, we recently had the guy, the uh, he was a techno expert, but on the good side, sysadmin, and he, and he took all his clothes off at the TSA checkpoint. And they showed that everywhere. You know, it's just like, oh, he got naked, crazy guy got naked. I think we need streaking to come back. Streaking would be a very, very good meme to bring back. I don't think it's ever really totally disappeared. I yeah, know it takes place it in soccer games in Europe. No, but rarely, rarely. It, it seems rarely because they don't they don't promote it anymore. I'm, I'll never forget when I was seven or eight and I saw my first streaker on TV. And this was a guy. He had a huge <laughs> schlong and he was like waving it around. You know, and the cops didn't know what to do. He was like doing one of those, you know, one of those hula hoop moves and was flapping up and down. Uh, and I, I was like, oh, that's awesome. This guy is cool. That needs to and come you've back. You've never been the same. <laughs> this, this Look is, at you now. <laughs> this is true. This is true. All right. Let's thank uh, our producers for today's program, John. As we've already handed out a clip of the day, we've already given some people some value for value. Show's over. <laughs> <laughs> let's see if we can get something back here. You have a few uh, uh, generous producers, including, uh, I guess this is Elon Shemis. Shemis, yeah. Shemis or Elon? E- Elon? I'm not sure. Uh, Ian from Ian Seamus. He's uh, oh no oh yeah he's from uh, Israel right? He's, he's Israeli and yeah. he's uh, he says twelve 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 is his birthday so he gave us twelve twelve twelve. He what? was one of these the new knight. He's the number two on the list I think right number yeah, two or number, number three? Two. No we have Sir Gitmo Slave. We have um, I forget who our second one is and then we have uh, Elian Seamus. Cool. So twelve 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 is his birthday. Isn't that wild? Yeah. So how can he resist? Thank you for the shows. And Adam, thank you for the DSC 864. Love you, man. No homo, which I guess is one of your memes or something. From a long time ago. Your Dutch knight living in Israel. There you go. Uh, And then we have Oslock Christensen. And he does have a note, which I have to go find. Uh, Oh, here it is. Uh, Greetings from Gitmo Nation Oil and Fish. He's a Norwegian. (laughs) Just sent some cash and a (coughs) de-douching. He he needs a de-douching and he also needs a karma, he says in a PS. He needs a de-douching and a karma. But he'd like to call out his friend Gear Helg Axlen, A-K-S-L-E-N, as a douchebag. Douchebag. He says he loves the show. Keep up the fantastic work. And he says, I have to pronounce his name. 
so I guess he expects me to pronounce Ozlock <coughs> incorrectly, but as, as he's noticing, I'm pronouncing it correctly. And he's a new knight. He's a, he came in with a nice thousand round awesome. number of a thousand. Oh dollars. my God. I feel great now. Let me douche him here. You've been de-douched. You've got karma. Awesome, Ozlock. Thank you so, so much. Dwayne, uh, Sir Dwayne Melanson from huh. Tigard, Tigard, Oregon. <laughs> I keep I love pronouncing it Tigard. Or yeah. Tigard. Tigard. Uh, four, 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 four. Uh, Sir Dwayne here from Gitmo Nation Tigger. Yeah, it's funny. Early bird on the 444 club. This is 333 plus 111. Love those numbers. I also like to do a 420, but my recent big check to the IRS makes that a no-no. I'd love some karma and a Dutch in the morning. I uh, love the Norway manifesto breakdown that Adam did. I, it was very good. Yes, indeed. Uh, so, we don't have a Dutch in the morning. I'll have to well, do it you live. You can just say it yourself. Yeah. In the ochtend. You've got karma. Love the harmony. Yeah, it was great. Uh, Anthony Montgomery, Westfield, Indiana, 303. Be, uh, uh, we'll make him an executive producer for today's show. I challenge others considering a knighthood to do it before 12-12-12. Here's my first installment of 30303 towards 12-12-12-12, <laughs> which I intended to complete for 12-12-12. That's the way Is to it, do it. Do four equal payments. That's cool. Yeah, I should put it on the on the option list yeah. on the website, Dvorak.org slash NA. Does the numerology merit extra karma? It certainly does. It gets it. You've got karma. Rocking. Our associate executive producers, Aaron uh, uh, McGoffin or Magafin, Magafin, McGoffin, one of the two, Woodstock, Ontario, 29197. Fellas, I prefer to say that donating is lusting. And I have been humping your awesome show for far too long without a proper whore's remuneration. <laughs> Let okay. it be said that I require no karma because I've been skimming it from everyone else since it started. After all, no agenda is entirely open source. And instead, Adam, you can play the it's the Sunday morning service gospel jingle because I wrote it and sang all the parts and almost blew a nut singing John C. Dvorak. I accidentally played it at church at a church website meeting. <laughs> Boy, was my face red! But I'm certain that Taylor Swift could not do a better job. Ah, uh, wow! That's so that's so nice to hear from. Yeah, let me play that for you right now. My children, it's a Sunday morning service. Tell us you know agenda. Can I get some Adam Curry? Can I get a little John? John. So he played that in church by accident. Whoops. <laughs> Whoops. Yeah, these guys, what the hell? What is this? Oh, anyway, that's so cool. Are Thank you, Aaron. That's nice. Producers, executive producers, associate executive producer, and um want to thank them for supporting this show, uh, which is show number. I just closed the spreadsheet. 405. 405. Uh, and remind everyone to go to Dvorak.org slash na channeldevorak.com slash na no agenda show.com where you can also listen to the show and no agenda nation.com uh where you can also uh buy a coin or a mug or by the way the mug i think the mugs which are not going to be done again by the way they're all oh they're out is it that's done well, no it's because over? you got the, the apparently the government it's a long story but eric got har harassed really essentially by bringing these mugs in from where 
China. <laughs> really? Is it like an embargo on mugs? Yeah, no, it was just, it was a nightmare. No, wait a minute. Story. You're telling me there's a mug embargo? No, there was just a, some, tar- he was targeted for some reason. Yeah, gee, what could that be? I wonder. Dvorak.org <laughs> slash N-A. What could it be? What could it be? I'm looking to see if there's, there's an embargo on Cuban mugs. Oh, I'm sure. Uh, I've been wanting to get some Cuban mugs. They're made out of cigars, you know that? <laughs> the mug maker. Uh, no, no, I, here we go. Embargo. No, no, no. Only on Cuban mugs. Interesting. Interesting. I'd love to hear the story one day. That sounds fascinating. Uh, no PR mentions, but that's okay. Um, we do appreciate our uh, brand new nights, uh, executive producers, very, very kind of you to support the program, support the work. Of course, uh, you see how it goes, right? And luckily, there's two of us. You know, John didn't make it. He fell down after uh, watching half of the John Brennan speech. And, you know, I, in my youth, was able to stick with it and got a second clip. Uh, but we were both watching, and we're doing it so you don't have to. Of course, you can always go out and you can propagate the formula, which goes something like this. Our formula is this. We go out. We hit people in the mouth. Come on, everybody. Shut up, slave. Right on. Nah, it's good. I love it when, uh, when, when people really help us out. And we will be thanking more. Of our producers uh, later on in the program. Oh, that's what I forgot. Darn it. I knew I had that clip somewhere. I was one of these guys. He was a Navy guy, I think. He was on, and he talked like that. In fact, it was, I think it was JC is walking by. So, holy crap, what is this guy? Sometimes Obama also talks like that. Have you noticed? No, I haven't noticed. (laughs) When people do that, it's highly annoying. (laughs) It's very annoying. (laughs) You almost want to say, hey, dude, stop it. All right, other big news this uh, week, John. Wow, I mean, the media is just really, really, really on, uh, on message. On message, I tell you, because not only do we need to make you very, very afraid of body bombs so we can turn up the radiation, um, but we also have to curtail your First Amendment rights and and get ready to clamp down on speech so you can't say something ugly to anybody else because that would be illegal. We already have all these bullying laws, and let me tell you, this is not just something that happens with humans, my friends. This happens in nature, and it's bad. We have to stop the bullying. On that wayward dolphin stranded in shallow water outside Los Angeles, rescuers are now speculating the mammal may be a victim of bullying and is afraid to swim to freedom. ABC's David Wright has that story. G-A-B-C again, huh? For nearly a week, this wayward dolphin, nicknamed Freddy, has kept to the shallow waters of a wetlands reserve in Orange County. Peter Wallerstein and five California fish and game officers got out their paddle boards and tried to shoo him into the open ocean, but something unusual happened. Four other dolphins appeared to be waiting to gang up on Freddy. He turned tail and ran right back to the shallows. For some reason, there's tension amongst the dolphins. <laughs> He's gay, that's why. Um, was it bullying? <laughs> we don't know, but it was some kind of discipline. Did he seem scared? What? He seemed very scared. And I've been doing rescues for... What does a dolphin who's scared look like? 
Does he like, like have a grimace? Uh, is he like shivering? You know, how do you know if a dolphin is scared? This report, by the way, is outstanding the way they package this. Keep listening. 27 years in, in Southern California, and I haven't seen anything like this. Strange behavior for creatures we think of as smart, playful, and good-natured. Flipper ever bully another dolphin? <laughs> this is mind control, people. It, this is total mind control. This is incredible. This this is the clip of the day. No, we can't do two. Can we do two clips of the day? Really? We've done, we've done two before. Clip of the day. Ladies and gentlemen, Adam Curry's on a roll. That's right, everybody. It's the clip of the day. How you doing? Dolphin's being bullied. He looks so frightened. If you if you can tell if he looks frightened, then you can also tell if he's gay or not. And there's the four dolphins ready to beat him up. <laughs> they're, they're like harassing How does him. A dolphin beat up another dolphin. I guess they poke him. I've swam with dolphins. Have you ever done that? That's pretty cool. No. Oh man, did I ever tell you this story? No, I'm not interested. It it, it involves penis. I'm even less interested now. <laughs> okay. I won't tell my dolphin story then. It's a good story. You, uh, if, if somebody wants to contribute to the show and it demands you tell it, then maybe we'll do something. I'm, I'm against all right. it. You're against the, the, the dolphin and penis story? I want to hear the rest of this segment. Are you done? Yeah. I mean, <laughs> no. yeah, pretty much. <laughs> I think this is ludicrous. You know, these news people, I mean, this is, and they make like millions of dollars, some of these uh, anchors on these. Diane yeah. Sawyer makes millions of dollars and she's drunk. She's awesome. I mean, you know, we need it. And you know what? Now, Ryan Seacrest, as, should, as oh, yeah, predicted. Ryan Seacrest is making, you know what he makes now? Oh, let me guess. Just salaries without his production company? Eight million. He makes $50 million. Yeah, that's what, but that's with the Kardushians. Yeah, well, he's, well, yeah, he's totally. Yeah. And power to him, but this guy is going to be on the Today Show. He's going to be the special correspondent. Oh, man, I hope they blow something up at the Olympics because he's doing that. I hope they blow him up. Oh, we're so sorry. We blew up Ryan Seacrest, and oh, well, here's some of his hair. <laughs> I have respect for him, though. I have nothing against him, personally. It's just like this guy is now going to bring us the news. Yeah, it's ludicrous. Please, please. So I have a, a, an interesting, uh, it depends unless you want to stick, stick with the bullying topic. Uh, no, I'm okay. I'm okay. I just, just wanted to point out that bullying laws are being put in place and they uh, take away your right to say to someone, you suck. Yeah. Did you, yeah. Did, did, you, did you just drop your bottle of scotch? No, so I was banging a... <laughs> so, yeah. It's your bottle of scotch. Scotch. Are you Good vying scotch. for that Diane Sawyer job already? Yeah, I am. Okay. I just can't drink enough. So the new uh, uh, chief of staff is this guy, Martin Dempsey. Yeah, looks like Obama's chief of staff? The, the chief of the uh, joint chief of staff. Oh, of oh, right, 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 right. Who I think he's not quite as uh, just... He seems, he was always telling jokes. He comes out when he gives a speech. He tells lame jokes. He's Irish, obviously. And he looks Irish, and he looks like he probably can drink with the best of them. And, but he seems like a, a pretty good guy, too, like Mullen. And, uh, but he, uh, when he, he's a little less circumspect. So when he does his, he does a lot of talks, and he's on, he's, he seems to be more of a media whore than <laughs> Mullen ever was. 
And he tells these stories that are like my favorite. And so I, he was talking about the Iraq war and some, he was just kind of briefing some group about one thing or another. And he, and it, this, I got this clip out of this was a, how dumb were we is the name of this clip where he explains what we were doing when we were Iraqi. He, he, he says that it's taken us like 10 years to even figure out anything apparently. And you play this and you'll see what I'm talking about. Connect. So I was, I was training this group of, let's call them um, National Guardsmen, really, is what they were. I mean, that's what we call them now that I remember, the Iraqi National Guard. I was training them to actually operate in a counterinsurgency environment against an enemy that was very well armed, by the way, even by then. By October of '03, the enemy began to manifest itself, the insurgency. And they were good. I mean, they were um, armed and equipped and organized. But the police that we were building were being trained in... Investi- you know, in, in investigations and in traffic tickets, you know, traffic circles. I'm not making that up, I'm, and I'm not denigrating it. It was an instinct. We were mirror imaging our own experience, and the police were getting clobbered. I mean, their police stations were being run over. They were being killed by the dozens. And so it took us a bit of time to come together, Department of State, Department of Defense, and decide how we would work collaboratively uh, on building up both the army and the police, and it, and we conceded that for a time these police are going to have to have capability that you wouldn't have to have were you sitting here in in Washington D.C. So I'm thinking as I'm listening to this, he had a very long talk that. Well, you remember when we when we waltzed into Iraq, they thought they were going to be throwing roses at us. And all it was was essentially we're going to take over the place for a while and then it just put our institutions in as if. Yeah. And, and, just, and you know, Rumsfeld's naivete and the whole Bush group's naivete about this, I think, was pretty much summarized there by Mullen talking about they're teaching the cops how to give traffic tickets because that's what we do. This is where I'd like to tell my story again about uh, my visit to Iraq in 2003 when I was with the Dutch Marines uh, at Camp Smitty uh, broadcasting live for uh, a week. So we're there for about 10 days. And every day they would take us out to a different place and um, or you know different town or to see something. It was like a little sight, sightseeing. Uh, it was like a little touristic journey with flak jackets and helmets on. And they took us to one of these training camps where they were training the Iraqi uh, guard, as he called it. He said, "What is it? We used to call it the National Guard, and we don't call it that anymore." And uh, I, I think somewhere there's video of it. I'm, in fact, I'm sure there is. I'd have to call someone to, to dig it up. Have you ever seen the program, the, te- the British television show from the 60s called Dad's Army? No. Okay, so you have to YouTube that. You have to see Dad's Army. This is like a, a bunch of, it's almost like um, Hogan's Heroes with Colonel Schultz. Uh, not Colonel, uh, uh, Sergeant, Sergeant Schultz and Sergeant, Colonel Clink, yeah. right? Yeah. So Schultz, he was basically a dumb, fat German. So these guys, they line up and they're giving, they have a drill instructor and the drill instructor says, uh, about face. And I swear to God, John, half the guys turn right, the other half turns left. It was the funniest, funniest <laughs> thing I'd ever seen. Like these guys, they, they can't do shit. They can't, they, they, they couldn't do anything with unloaded uh, AK-47s. Just w- wouldn't you know, like it wouldn't mock rifles because you know God forbid that someone would get an idea and start shooting up the place. It was ridiculous. It was a total scam, and we were literally like looking at each other like, "What the hell is?" That? <laughs> if 
about face? I got to put a clip, a YouTube clip of Dad's Army, and you'll know exactly what I'm talking about. It was just like that, and we were just like, whoa, okay. Anyway, just wanted to give that little anecdote. Yeah, no, I, you know, I, I've they've shown these uh, occasionally on some of these uh, news shows that will show some of this stuff where these guys are, they can't hold the gun, they drop the guns. They, you know, <laughs> yeah, 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 exactly. You know, they, they fire the gun and then they drop it out of fear, you know, kind of thing. <laughs> it's kind of like that, yeah, whoa, that was the explosion. <laughs> An explosion. <laughs> Something's wrong with this gun. What a scam. And it's, you know, the, it would be really funny if we didn't kill 100,000 people or more. Yeah, and then it would be hilarious. In the process, we're essentially a bankrupt country now. Play yeah. the Iraq War How Dumb Part 2, and we'll see what he says there. Over time, this whole of government collaboration began to, began to bear fruit. But to your other point about the complexity of this, you know, issues of rule of law, and I'll, I'll add corruption. Um, are extraordinarily difficult to overcome because it's very difficult for us to even see it and then let alone having seen it, address it. And as you know, uh, just two years ago, we, we had to stand up an anti-corruption task force in Afghanistan because we realized that the very mission was being placed at risk because of corruption. So I wouldn't suggest to you that we have turned the corner on fully understanding w- First of all, how to address that as a whole of government. Secondly, what the military's role is. But I will say we, we've come a long way since '03, uh, and I yeah. think that as we go forward as a learning organization, we have to keep plugging away at it. But we've, by the way, the, the end of this story is we've, we're closer as a interagency, as 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 various agencies. We are a network. We are a network. But what I what we're all challenging ourselves now is how much better do we need to be to confront the challenges that are coming. We know how to confront the ones we just passed by. You don't need that, man. Just get some drones. This is like 10 years. This is 10 years since 2003 that he's talking about. I mean, what... These guys are train just chimp. breaking the bank, yeah. and they're, well, you know, we didn't know anything about that corruption. Look, it took us 10 years to figure that out. Well, now we figured that out We because they're not in the milieu, obviously. They're in their base, you know, in the green zone in Iraq, yeah. for example, or the whatever. Hookers. Yeah. They're just not out there. They don't know what they're doing. Essentially, they're just admitted incompetence. <laughs> and we suck, and we know it. Yeah, we suck, but we're learning. We're yeah, learning. we're getting there. We're learning some stuff. It's good. Yeah, it took us a while, you know, but we're learning. We're better than we were. Yeah, yeah, it's only 10 years. What's your problem, slave? Shut up and pay me. So we missed something, John. Oh, we miss something all the time. Yeah, but I, luckily I picked up on it because, uh, again, this is from C-SPAM. Is it a meme we missed? No, it's a huge, huge uh, policy document. Oh. Yeah, which uh, I took the... Uh, Liberty of reading through for us, and uh, I was quite surprised by this. And this uh, coincidentally happened April 17th, which was just about the time I think the president, uh, the Secret Service scandal was taking place. And to revisit that for people, uh, our assertion is that the Secret Service scandal was a cover up, a cover, if you will. So that the United States would not have to talk about drug policy with uh, the Colombians and the Brazilians and the Guatemalans and the Guatemalans who basically want to make it not only completely legal to draw down uh, drug trafficking, which has proven to work in countries like Portugal, um, uh, but also to take a, a fee on anything that uh, that they find. And you know, <laughs> they wanted their money. They want, they wanted, they wanted the, their money. They want back their vig. The stuff is confiscated. Right. 
So, uh, but of course, we know that uh, the Ill- the illicit drug trade is what's keeping the United States economy afloat. And the primary mission of the Secret Service is to protect the integrity of the American financial system. You may not believe that, but if you go to their website, it says it right there. It's their number one mission. Number two is to protect the president and the vice president and anyone else they deem necessary. Uh, but our drugs are outlined our new drug strategy. And I did not know we had one. A drug strategy? Well, we have a, a new one, which was officially released. It's the National Drug Control Strategy for 2012. was officially released the very same time that this was taking place. So this is this, basically this should have been discussed at the summit. Yeah, you're right. But it didn't get discussed. So, I, so I'm watching C-SPAN. I'm like, ah, oh, drugs are okay. And then I'm like, hey, hold on a second. Let me characterize those views for you. On the one side, we have a very vocal, organized, well-funded advocates who insist that drug legalization is a silver bullet for addressing our nation's drug problem. Then we have the other side. On the other side of the debate are those who insist that a law enforcement-only war on drugs approach, the one that uh, was just mentioned, is the way to create a drug-free society. You know, if only we could spend more money on prisons and enforcement and increase arrests and the seizures of drugs, that logic goes, the drug problem will at some point just go away. Well, the Obama administration strongly believes that neither of these approaches is humane, They're not compassionate, not realistic. Probably most importantly, they are not grounded in science. The approaches also do not acknowledge the complexity of our nation's drug problem or reflect what science has shown us over the past two decades. Whenever you can put the answer to a complex problem on a bumper sticker, you know you probably don't have much of an answer. That's why two weeks ago we released the National Drug Control Policy, and it pursues a third way for our nation to approach drug control. This is a 21st century approach to drug policy. It's progressive, it's innovative, it's evidence-based, and it represents what we believe is a way ahead for drug policy. So you can imagine my, uh, my head swiveled around. There's a third way. John, we've only been discussing the two ways, and now there's a third way, which is the 21st century solution to the problem. And after this invigorating speech from this very motivated speaker, I'm sure you're dying to hear what that third way is. Well, I'm sure you looked it up. Yes, I did. And it's, uh, well, it's only a couple hundred pages. Uh, So this is, uh, that was Director Karlikowski. How How do you spell his name? K, uh, Kilo, Echo, Romeo, Lima, India, Kilo, Oscar, Whiskey, Sierra, Sierra Kilo, Echo, Kerlikowski. So this is the National Drug Control Strategy known as the NDCS 2012. And uh, just want to outline first the strategy. It reflects new developments in our efforts to reduce drug use and its consequences, but our goal remains the same. That goal is very lofty, John. A 15% reduction in rate of drug abuse. Wow. That's, wow, you guys are setting the bar really high. 15%. <laughs> so already I'm intrigued. Um, so here is the uh, the detail of the goals. Decrease the 30-day prevalence of drug abuse among 12 to 17-year-olds by 15%. 
decrease the lifetime prevalence of eighth graders who have used drugs, alcohol, or tobaccos by 15%. Decrease the 30-day prevalence of drug abuse among young adults by only 10%. Because we gotta, you know, we gotta keep the money moving. You know, we can't like decrease too much. By the way, to interrupt for a second, I got to, I looked this guy up on the on the Book of Knowledge, and he's a, he's a blockhead. <laughs> yeah, he is. He is a blockhead. <laughs> Good point. I reduced the number of chronic drug users by 15%. And then we want to improve the public health and public safety of the American people by reducing the consequences of drug abuse. This is important because, you know, we're sending a lot of people to jail. Uh, reduce drug-induced deaths by 15%. Reduce drug-related morbidity by 15%. And reduce the prevalence of drugged driving by only 10%. Because we got to keep people drugged and driving. Um, you, know what, you know what, not to interrupt again, but you know what one of his jobs was in the, in the 70s? Mm-mm. His responsibility was ref- was saluting President Richard Nixon as he boarded the presidential helicopter. That was his job? That was his... That's, that's his guy, and he was awarded the presidential service badge. That's correct. Yeah, actually, I did I did have that. I did have that information. <laughs> oh, bro. I know. Go yeah. on, go so on. So he was like a greeter. Like Telly, yeah, greeter. Like, Hi, <laughs> welcome to Walmart. That's what doing, like Telly Savalas used to be at Bally's. Yeah. Yeah, so, did. um... Uh, what surprised me, oh, no, I'm sorry. It didn't surprise me. So they're going to reduce this by 10%, 10, 15%. But we got to make the money back somewhere. Guess where we're going to do that? We're going to do it in healthcare. It all comes together and all starts to make sense through the SBIRT program, the SBIRT, which stands for Screening, Brief Intervention, and Referral to Treatment. How does this work? Screening for illicit drug use and use of prescription drugs enables physicians to guard against possible drug interactions and start a conversation about the negative effects of illicit drug use on the health. Computer SBIRT holds promise for decreasing several types of illicit drug use in hospitalized women after childbirth, providing SBIRT in health systems, that means insurance companies and the whole healthcare system, including primary care, hospitals, and urgent care settings, and ensuring these systems include specialty treatment or referral to treatment brings medical care for substance use disorders into broader health systems as envisioned in the Affordable Care Act. So what's going to happen here is you're going to be involuntarily screened for drugs and and they even it even they even put it in here. They're making up codes. Here it is. S A M H S A has or whatever that is has partnered with the Centers for Medicare and Medicaid Services to develop and disseminate the codes available for billing expert services to Medicaid. So it's in the system. So you're going to be screened and tested. You'll get an early intervention. And that is all going to be paid for, of course, by insurance, which means that it's all going to come out of our our premiums, I guess. Yeah. Yeah, just but, another way to gouge the public. By Round requiring about. by requiring that requiring that insurers offer coverage for substance abuse uh substance use disorder treatment services, the Affordable Care Act, which is known as Obamacare in the public mouth, will expand access to substance use disorder treatment and help establish as uh, it as a part of mainstream healthcare systems. 
When the Affordable Care Act is fully implemented in 2014, millions more Americans will have coverage. It will therefore be necessary to expand and further train the specialty and primary care workforces. John, this is going to be a bonanza. Because, of course, (laughs) everybody's high. We all know that. (laughs) Now, there's some statistics here which I thought were interesting under Chapter 4, Break the Cycle of Drug Use. Annual state corrections spending has increased to more than $50 billion in 2010. I like the way they make it a disorder. Oh, of course it's a disorder. Uh, In 2010, over 7 million people in the United States were under the supervision of the criminal justice system, over 2 million incarcerated, and the remaining 5 million on probation or parole. I mean, you're talking about some big numbers here. And then we have, and I hadn't heard about this, and this is the thing that really blew me away. With the, there's just a line I picked up. With the enactment and retroactive application of the Fair Sentencing Act, the disparity in sentencing between offenses for crack cocaine and powder cocaine has been drastically reduced. I'm like, well, what is this all about? Now, the Fair Sentencing Act, which we missed, quite honestly, was signed into law by President Obama in 2010. Yeah, we didn't completely miss it. I was aware of it. This was the uh, this law was passed for the purposes of normalizing sentencing between blacks and whites. Right. But what it does is there was a 100 to 10 sentencing disparity. In other words, if you had five grams of crack, you would uh, you faced a 10 year mandatory minimum for carrying uh, you faced 10 years. Right. For five grams of crack. So what they've done now is they've moved that up. So they haven't reduced cocaine. Cocaine is you have to have 500 grams before you get your five-year mandatory. Because, of course, rich people... 500? Yeah. 500 grams? of Yes, of powder cocaine faces five-year mandatory minimum. It's a quarter minimum. pound then, right? Yes, yeah. That's a, that's a lot of blow. <laughs> I would think. This is like a Scarface. But think about it. This is for rich people. The rich people who can afford that, I have no idea what it costs, but it seems like that would be a, 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 it wouldn't be cheap. a tidy sum. Yeah. For 500, if you get nailed with 500 grams, and of course every congressman has 500 grams in his, in his office. But for black people, as you point out, the way it's literally written in this, they changed it from five grams of crack, which of course even Whitney Houston you know, said crack is whack. We don't do crack. Which is obviously a uh, you know it's a little bit of uh, rock cocaine boiled down in some horrible chemicals. They've raised that so you can now have twenty eight grams of crack before you get hit with a five year mandatory sentence. This is great. We the message is smoke more crack. <laughs> am I nuts or am I smoke more crack? You hey hey man how many, how many grams twenty five grams you good to go. Don't worry about it. Smoke more crack. It's awesome. Well, that's the favor that Obama's done for the black community. They've been wait, waiting for him to do something. They can smoke for more the crack. Black community, and that's <laughs> you can you can give Obama a hundred percent of the credit for that one. That we can smoke more crack. Yeah. Good. Well, that's great. I think this is a twenty first century solution right there. Smoke more crack. Smoke more crack. The smoke more crack act. <laughs> yeah, the smoke more, smoke more crack act. So apparently, you know, so what they're doing now is they're saying, well, 
the administration supports a combined health and safety approach to addressing substance abusing offenders. And so they now have drug courts where they I guess they count how much crack you had. And by the way, this is a $10 billion bill of which $6 billion is still going to law enforcement. So it's complete crap and just lies. There are 2,600 drug courts, and they continue, that number continues to grow, as this, uh, as this document points out uh, proudly. Okay. Um, let me just skim through this here for a second. They want to disrupt domestic drug trafficking and production. Again, a, a, a 21st century solution. And this one got kind of crazy. Transnational criminal organizations operating in the United States produce, import, or distribute illicit drugs through the nation, posing a persistent and dangerous threat to public health and safety. These organizations use parcel services, tunnels, aircraft, trains, boats, vehicles with hidden compartments, and other other conveyances to traffic drugs into and throughout the nation, particularly along the southwest and northern borders. Hello, Canada. Are you paying attention? In addition to traditional drugs, here it comes, communities are now concerned with the new synthetic drugs, such as those commonly sold as bath salts. This is our bath salts meme coming back. And synthetic cannabinoids sold as spice or K2. And this, of course, ultimately creates criminal organizations. So we got to crack down on the spice and uh, K2 and on the bath salts. So we're going to maximize federal support drug law enforcement task forces. Let me just scroll down here for a second. We're going to improve intelligence and exchange and information sharing with these so-called fusion centers. This is very scary, these fusion centers that are popping up everywhere. Yeah. And here's what's interesting. As a part of this, we're going to develop a national plan for southbound interdiction of currency and weapons. Now, I had to let that sink in. Because it says here, to enhance efforts to to combat bulk cash smuggling, i.e. money going out of the country southbound, ICE has expanded its operations at the Bulk Cash Smuggling Center in 2011, which is an investigative support and operations center designed to assist ICE and its international domestic law enforcement partners with the investigation, seizure, forfeiture, and arrest of subjects involved in transnational crimes that are facilitated by the movement of illicit proceeds through bulk cash smuggling, i.e., keep the money here, you slaves. Don't let it leave the country. And then finally... Well, there's something about er eradicating marijuana cultivation, which basically is all about California. But here is the counter-domestic methamphetamine By the way, if they get that program underway and they start eradicating marijuana cultivation, which is mostly in Mendocino County, I might add, if they want to know where to go, uh, and they start busting, burning these places to the ground and getting rid of all that stuff, you can then these... Idiots who are growing this stuff and voted against legalizing marijuana in the state of California and promoted not having marijuana legalized, medical marijuana, because they were making so much money in the black market. They deserve what happens. This is they brought it on themselves. It's Calusa, Glen, Lake, Mendocino, Tehama, and Trinity, to be exact. Excuse it's me. listed in there. Oh yeah. 
Yeah, no, you were right. John, I, I always know that you know what's up when it comes to weed. I don't know. Like, so here, here's an interesting. Well, I'm in, the, in Berkeley, so I guess it has something to do with it. But so, of no. course, uh, meth. Meth is a big deal because, you know, you can have a meth lab in your pants, as we learned on the previous episode. Yeah, you can have it in a Coke bottle. Yep. Counter domestic methamphetamine production. How are we going to do this? The danger posed by the smaller labs remains significant. I guess that's the one in your pants. Several options are being considered to further reduce methamphetamine production, including... Prescription-only status for pseudodephedrine and ephedrine products. In other words, you will now have to get a prescription for NyQuil. Another healthcare bonanza, I tell you. But here's a word that I hadn't heard of. Improved restrictions that are designed to eliminate smurfing would decrease the number of methamphetamine laboratories and the corresponding dangers they pose. Had you ever heard of smurfing? You know, I have, but I can't for the life of me know what, I can't remember what it is. From the uh, Urban Dictionary, in relation to meth, smurfing is a term that is used to, pers- to describe a person or group of people that go from one store to another in order oh, right, right, to right, gain right. enough. The, right, one bottle of pills. Exactly. Interestingly, the term smurfing actually comes from the banking world. <laughs> Smurfing, as it relates to banking, was coined to describe a process in which a bank would break up huge financial transactions into smaller ones in order to avoid tipping off the government or raising any red flags. I thought that was kind of interesting that we have the word smurfing used in there. So as I, uh, as I go through this uh, entire thing, uh, it seems to be uh, a war against bath salts. It seems to be a war against NyQuil. It seems to be encouraging poor people uh, to smoke more crack because, you know, you're not going to go to jail now. And it seems to uh, uh, not only encourage but codify into law the process because, you know, whenever you go to a doctor, you write, do you take any uh, any drugs like cocaine, marijuana, etc.? Of course, you always say no, 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 I don't do that. It doesn't matter because he's going to screen you now and it's going to be a part of your health care package and it will be mandatory. And then you're going to get an intervention. So you're going to be there and the doctor's going to close the door and it's going to lock. And he's going to bring in your friends and your parents and it's a big pain in the ass. And then you got to get always treatment. Gonna really bring in as a bookkeeper so they can keep track of all the money they're going to soak you for. Because they'll have codes for it. Ah. Yeah. So uh, it, more, yeah, there's, there's, more good news. There's some, and by the way, all this is marked up uh, in a PDF file for you under clips and stuff in the show notes at 405.nashownotes.com. Uh, just so you know, you're going to get uh, mandatory drug screening and intervention. And uh, But it doesn't matter because as long as you stay under the 28 grams of crack, you're good to go. Great. That, that to me spells 21st century solution, John, right there. Yeah, definitely. So, uh, yeah, it's, it's just time marches on. What can I say? And well, in the, on the topic of, um, let's say, drugs, uh, medical uh, world of medicine, I, I have a clip. Which uh, tell me if you can if you can see what the uh, what why I clip this uh, show. From this, this is a new HBO show called Girls. Oh God, Mickey watches that. She forces me to watch. It's terrible. But did you yeah. catch this one? Good afternoon, Cortler Gallery. 
Hey, uh, it's me. Hi, you. How are you? I got a call from the doctor with my results. Yeah. And do you? It would appear that I do, yes, have something. My God, what? I kind of can't believe that I'm saying this, but I have HPV, so. <laughs> Marnie? Yeah? Are you crying? It was just so unfair, Hannah. Like, you're so careful about sex and everything, and you're, like, nervous. I just figured that, like, for people that are really, really scared of flying, their planes never go down. It's just not how it works. Oh, my God. What if you can't have children? Marty, I'm fine, okay? I'm fine. Fucking Adam. He didn't give it to me, okay? He got tested, and he doesn't have it. I think it was Elijah. So this is very Hold interesting. Hold on a second. Did you catch the second meme in there that was subtle yeah about the, the he got tested no it wasn't adam it, think of adam in the bible it was elijah a dirty jew <laughs> <laughs> well let me expand on that i'm glad you got this because i was very tired when this was on and I remember Mickey and I looking at each other going like oh my god really are they promoting this but they took it one step further so they explained the entire process of testing that boys cannot get tested for this. But even better, the dirty Jew Elijah, as you point out, turns out he's gay and he's always been gay. And he was even thinking of having sex with men when he was having sex with her. So as this story unfolds, I guarantee you he is going to get, have to get tested so he doesn't get throat cancer. And I know this because I have developed a relationship with several doctors ever since uh, we started on this HPV testing thing that I started to uncover. And by the way, thank you, Arsonomics, for creating an awesome YouTube video, which is for our uh, world has gone viral, like 98 people. That's very viral for us. <laughs> and I've gotten, you know, I've gotten. We're just fighting it. We're fighting, I've got, we're fighting the man. <laughs> screwing the man. I've, but I've gotten emails from uh, people from like sanevax.org and like, oh, I, I, you should interview me on your show. I don't even answer the emails. I'm like these are all these are all they're all crazy themselves. But I, I have developed a relationship with two doctors and uh, one of them I'm calling Dr. Deep Throat. And Dr. Deep Throat has uh, he's uh, he's getting me all the information. He's giving me all the information and even some documentation because what I want to know is, is there an actual script? Is there a scam to the HPV testing process? And just to review quickly, um, and this was also on the HBO show, you, you go in for your uh, annual, or in some cases it's uh, every two years, you go in for your, your, your test, your pap smear. I like to say schmear, your pap smear. You get a call that says, well, it was inconclusive. And that means you could be precancerous. This, by the way, huge red flag with all these doctors. They're like, the word precancerous, which came back in this show, they talked yeah, about she it. She actually said that she, she had precancer. Precancer is not a medical term. If someone says to you precancerous, you can say you're full of crap. That does not exist. It is not a medical term. So then you have to come back. You do a very uncomfortable biopsy. You're freaking out. And then exactly what's happening here, because it's an STD, you only get it through having sex with someone. And men carry this around forever. Uh, and, 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 you know, you're like, oh, did, did, my, did my husband cheat on me? What, what went on? And then it turns out that you don't have it. And that's when, that's when the sales pitch occurs and the doctor says, you know, you should get the HPV shot. 
So here's what Dr. Deep Throat tells me. He says, these machines, remember, uh, Hologic is uh, now teamed up with uh, Merck, who makes Gardasil, the vaccine. He says the machines have a very high rate of false positives by design. He says these machines are highly regulated by both state and federal government. Those entities, I'm reading verbatim, tend to lead towards false positives because it lends to a lower rate of malpractice suits. So he says the whole thing is systemic. So they're meant to throw a huge number of false positives because not only are they worried about malpractice lawsuits, which is probably at the top of the list, but the minute that happens, boom, you go from 70 bucks to 700 bucks to you know, 800 bucks for the HPV shot. And, and, and of course, the, uh, um, the medical practitioner walks along in the profit process. As Dr. Deepthroat says, unfortunately, these false positives lead to a number of problems. <clears throat> Although a lot of the physicians are genuinely good people with the best patient care in mind, which I believe, they are limited by the test results given them. The insurance industry dictates a minimum level of certainty before a treatment is dictated and covered. And depending on the lobbying abilities of the industry, that certainly is thus defined typically by the state's board of health. It's a nasty cycle is getting worse as drugs become tailored to genetics and eventually individuals. It will only become more corrupt. In short answer, he says again, it's rigged by design. He is getting me the statistics on the amount of false positives. He also points out um, that only 10% of the positives for HPV actually turn out to have HPV, which I thought was a very, very low number considering all of the uh, hysteria. So not necessarily, it's even worse than we thought. You know, I, I wish I had someone who said, yeah, I got this script from the guy who sold the machine to me and uh, here's how it works. It's even worse. They're designed to produce false positives and that's why Gardasil, made by Merck, who makes Gardasil, and Hologic, who makes the new high throughput, uh, test lots of women uh, over time, are in cahoots with each other. The whole thing is completely rigged. Unfortunately, and this is the only thing that really bothers me, is that the medical profession, the bad actors, uh, the greedy ones, are misusing this and terrorizing women. Here's one note from Ben. Uh, I, they, they keep on streaming in people who see the same thing happening over and over again. My wife's experience was a little different. She had a checkup, was fine, but was still recommended to get the HPV shot. She explained she was married and not worried, and the doctor said, well, you never know, men aren't faithful, you should protect yourself. Wow. What a great guy that doctor is. Isn't it, isn't it outrageous? Unbelievable. She should have slapped him. So we'll hard. see, we'll see the, um, uh, now of course, uh, this HBO series is very interesting. I'm glad you reminded me of it. Because uh, I want to see how this unfolds with the gay guy. If uh, <laughs> that, what a good catch, by the way, the Adam and Elijah bit. Let's see if the gay guy now uh, is worried and if he's going to get uh, the HPV oh, yeah. shot because he can't get yeah. tested, but he'll get the he'll get the, he'll shot. Get the shot. Yeah, yeah. So you know, we don't know who's paying for these programs, mm, but you can bet there's something going on. 
Yeah, it's essentially corruption. This is systemic corruption within the medical industry. Thanks to the insurance companies. This is every whole thing. I mean, this is Obamacare. It's just pushing. You know, people keep saying, well, Obamacare, people aren't going to get it. It's all about insurance. Yeah. If they would go to single payer, government controlled. I mean, even though I know every right winger out there thinks it's terrible. It's socialized medicine is no good. Look how bad it works in England and all the rest of it. It would at least get these insurance companies out. Yeah. And we could deal with it later. Or we were the Americans. We can fix these things. We can make these things work. So, uh, you, but the, right now, it's this is going in the wrong direction and it's creating. A can you do that? Can problem. you do that again? We're Americans. We can make things work. That was really good. Do that again. American speech. We're Americans and we can make things work. Beautiful. Yeah. Okay. That's what you're passing on to your kids. Not HPV. You are passing on a uh, humongous cost. Oh, I'm sorry. Uh, Dr. Deep Throat just emailed me. Only 10% turn out to be cancer. It's even worse. I thought it was HPV. He says only 10% turn out to be cancer. You could have HPV, but not the cancer kind. You could just have uh, the human papilloma virus, which will go away. Your body actually fixes yeah, that. it's just like herpes. No, the herpes doesn't necessarily go away. Oh, well, that's true. Herpes doesn't go away. Thank yes. you, Dr. Deep Throat. I love Dr. Deep Throat. Open well, wide. Apparently. Open wide. So that is how it rolls, everybody. I got a lot of, uh, you know, I am humbled by the people that listen to our show. And quite honestly, it scares me at the same time. Well, actually, a lot of them managed to correct us properly. But it scares me that these smart people are listening to the show. Are they really that smart? Well, they like the entertainment value of the show, I think, a lot. (laughs) They like the body bomb stories. That's where they're tuning in. Hey, man, let me hear that one again. That was good. So uh, talking about news media being off base on stuff. So I'm watching the uh, the follow-up press conference on the Murdoch uh, hearings in London. Yeah. And they had uh, this one woman. Should, I, should I play the verdict? I'll, I'll, I have the verdict clip, and then you can do the... Yeah, play the verdict clip, and then we'll uh, play okay. something from Louise. Here is the verdict. The view of the majority of committee members, Rupert Murdoch is not fit to run an international company like B-Sky B. I'm personally disappointed that some members didn't feel sufficiently convinced or confident to hold the most powerful to account. They felt they couldn't support sections 216 to 229 of the report. I'd like to point out before uh, you continue that in the UK, if you say someone is fit... That usually means they're hot looking. And, and and with that, I agree. Rupert Murdoch is not a good looking guy. <laughs> well, that is it. He is not fit at all. So uh, so this got picked up, what you just played, got picked up by the national media. Oh, Murdoch, Murdoch, Murdoch. He's not fit. He's not fit. He's not fit. And uh, so Louise Mensch, who is the uh, the blonde on the committee that you've commented yeah, yeah. on before. She's, she's not very hot. No, she's not unattractive. 
But she's uh, she's a conservative, and she explains this, and I've never heard this before. Uh, the rationale for why she she's one of the people that voted against the the the, uh, the final conclusion because of the Murdoch thing, and we, she explains it here. That even in a report as partisan and down political lines as this one was voted on, uh, no member of the committee could find it in their hearts to say that either James or Rupert Murdoch had misled the committee. Nobody even in the report as it's published. Therefore, it did appear to us that something negative had to be found to say about Rupert Murdoch since nobody was going to conclude that either he or his son had misled our committee. And therefore, this line about Rupert Murdoch not being a fit person which echoes Ofcom's fit and proper test was uh, stuck in on the basis of no evidence presented to the committee whatsoever. And we just um, could not support it. As I say, even though many, many votes went against my point of view on uh, James Murdoch and on the corporate culture at News Corporation, I would definitely have voted for the report had that language not been placed in it. Oh, interesting. Yeah, it was just bullcrap. Well, this is a, it's a blackmail scandal. That's what this is. They're blackmailing Rupert Murdoch. We know that, uh, and I think a lot of this is coming, uh, of course, from the, uh, the government in the Gitmo Nation East. But I would wager that uh, the Obama administration wants uh, Murdoch on board. And again, you know, I'm, I've now started watching Fox News because you know, they've already, CNN is no good. It's just... No, it's, they got rid of Napolitano. That guy's in trouble. Yep, no, they, <laughs> big trouble. They let him do walk-ons now. Um, and I think uh, it's blackmail. It certainly can be used for blackmail. Well, there were a couple of interesting other little side bits. Yeah, it could. And I think... Uh, well, we'll see how this goes in the, as the election gets closer. But there was also this, you know, apparently they're going to, they don't know what to do about this because it hasn't come up since the 1950s where a bunch of people, not Murdoch and his son, uh, were, were accused of misleading parliament by essentially lying to these committees. And, uh, and I thought that was kind of interesting. And they, this guy discusses a little bit in this clip. I mean, as the chairman said earlier, the, the purpose of the motion for the House will be to decide whether people are guilty of contempt of Parliament. Yep. Now, and we're all agreed on that, and that is the substance of the report. It's what we were investigating. It's the first time it's been done since the 1950s, and we've spent a long time talking about something which isn't even included in the next steps of the report because it is you know, tangential to it, although obviously a subject of interest. I would point out that Mr Colin Myler is the editor of the New York Daily News, and we have just found that he has misled a select committee of parliament. Um, I would hope that a little bit of attention would be paid to the unanimous findings of the committee where named individuals misled parliament. And furthermore, to answer the very good question posed by Lucy Manning, which is if somebody comes in front of uh, parliament and lies to it, what happens next? Off with their heads! We don't necessarily have the procedures in place, and we will therefore be referring it to Parliament to find out what to do. But serious conclusions have been drawn about people misleading Parliament, on which we are all united. There is a lot in this report on which the committee completely agrees. Um, And, uh, you know, that's the shame that we weren't able to agree on the report itself because of the line about Rupert Murdoch. Cut off his ghoulies, I tell you. (laughs) You lied in front of Parliament! You 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 (laughs) should remove your testicles! Right away, <laughs> love it. So they're at their wits' end about what to do about it. They don't know. They, apparently, there's no procedure. We have no rules. Nobody ever does this. Hey, no, no one ever lies. This is crazy. How can you lie in front of Parliament? And so the editor of the New York <laughs> Daily News is this one of the guys who was the he was the editor of the News of the World, 
and he scampers off the United States as quick as he can. They, uh, uh, Morton Zuckerman, I guess, the guy who's the publisher, who's always on the uh, that show with uh, uh, the McLaughlin Report. He's the oh, right, Mort, right, right, Mort right, guy. Right. He's the publisher of the New York Daily News, and he hired this guy, fired the other guy, and put this guy in <laughs> as part of some larger scheme. It's great. And it's just the whole thing is just just rotten. But, yeah, you know. no wonder. I mean, this is. I'm feeling good, you know, because I, I see real journalism going on. I consider we may not be right, but we've got experts. We consult experts. You know, we keep them just as anonymous as real journalists, and we read through stuff. You know, we look at stuff. We dice. This is journalism, and it's happening. CNN is dead because of of the alternative media. It really is. They just they went way too. By the way, interestingly enough, their profits are huge. CNN? Yeah. They had like $600 million in profit. Huh. Yeah. It's, I don't understand how that works. Well, that's what they do. You sell out. You put that Hollywood, HLN, Hollywood yeah. News the yeah, network. You put a bunch yeah. of, you know, uh, extra, extra, extra kind of shows yeah. on. And you, you have Pierce Morgan doing softball interviews yeah. with everybody he can. You know, if you, but if the you ratings aren't there. The word he says. But, I mean, they must be charging an enormous CPM because their ratings are so poor. I mean, how, how are they making that much dough? Maybe it's just payoffs. I don't, I no I don't understand. Oh, John. Oh, bend over. Here it comes. It's time. <laughs> the War on Chicken. Yes, identified by John C. Dvorak very early on in the game. The War on Chicken continues. Ladies and gentlemen, there is a huge war on against chicken. And here is report number one. Breaking news this afternoon, a massive fire destroying several barns at a Weld County poultry farm. Sky Fox live over the scene near Roggen where a massive plume of smoke can be seen for miles. That's right. 500,000 chickens killed in fire. I'm telling you, those PETA people are crazy. And now we have one from NPR, which we have a new jingle for. Sponsorship, underwriting, advertising, call it whatever you want. Moving on to money. Here's a report from NPR. Also, enemy combatants in the war on chicken. Woo! Little nice. Americans are now eating more chicken than beef or pork. And meeting that demand is an industry that some have dubbed big chicken. Texas is a major player in the industry, and so now Texas must manage a problem that in other circumstances we might describe as fallout. Or blowback. Mm. They failing. They're using actual military war terms in the war on chicken, John. It's getting well, really. That would make sense. It's heating up. A member station KUHF in Houston explains what that problem is. Dan Franks has a beautiful view from his home 40 miles east of Waco. A pond, a pasture, wildflowers in full bloom. But just barely visible off in the distance. We're about a half a mile from uh, the chicken houses is what Franks calls an agri-factory, Ooh, as in agriculture. Agri-factory. There are more than a million chickens uh, over there. In- I was in town, you know, and everybody was asking what stinks, and oh, it's the chicken houses. Ah, that's the problem! They stink! They stink, <laughs> I tell you! That's right, ladies and gentlemen, another episode of... <laughs> the War on Chicken. There you go. <laughs> Wrapping it up nicely. Yeah. I like good. the NPR jingle. That's pretty cool. The new NPR yeah, jingle. Yeah, good. I like the way they did the donut with the thing in and out. It's good. <laughs> <laughs> 
Let's take a little break here. I'm going to show my support by donating to No Agenda. Imagine all the people who could do that. Oh, yeah, that'd be fab. Yeah, on No Agenda. Chicken stinks. In the morning. Yeah, there's chicken stinks, but our donors don't. No. Yeah, we have quite a few we want to mention. Uh, we do have a special uh, Sanco de Mayo coming up on Saturday. We're recommending people uh, donate 5512, <laughs> which would be uh, 5512. Uh, tomorrow would be the best day to do it, then to be right on the money. But we'll, and it's also, take- it's also uh, uh, one day before the demise of Europe because we have elections in Greece, in France, and... One other one, I think. Yeah, it's going to be pre-demise. It's going to be a great Cinco de Mayo. Yeah, it is. And which is, you know, might as well have something going on because it's a phony baloney holiday if ever there was. It's only only one town in Mexico even celebrates it. It's <laughs> Really? Yeah. Uh, really? I didn't know yeah. that. Yeah, look it up. <laughs> they don't even celebrate it? No, it's not a Mexican holiday. It's an American, you know, Americans picked it up. Oh, and man. Just because they're looking for another excuse to party. <laughs> well, nothing wrong with that. No, there isn't, I have to say. Uh, well, anyway, we want to thank some of our uh, producers. Alex Walter in Lenexa, Kansas, $111.11. Uh, good morning to you, John and Adam. I sympathize with your experience with your Ruger zombie killer. A few years ago, I had a KTEL P3AT, which is also a 380 and similar in size and construction. Here, I have it here. Constantly. I have, here, I have it here. There it is. I was glad. What do you, you have the zombie killer right next to the terminal there? Dude! I'm doing a podcast here. Uh, next, uh, for your next true zombie killer, you suggest the uh, Caltech KSG, and he's got a link to it. Oh, cool. This is a bullpup design with two tubular magazines. He goes on and on. Oh, I've seen this one. Yeah, it's pretty uh, awesome. Please wish my lovely wife, Stacy happy birthday. She's on the list, uh, and it says the turning 40 this Friday, which is the International Star Wars Day. That's tomorrow, and oh. she's listening to the show more and more, and we'll get a kick out of it. Would you please have Adam say in his sultry broadcast voice something <coughs> to the effect of, hey, Stacy, <coughs> happy right. birthday. All right, here we go. Here, here it comes. Be right. with you. All right. <clears throat> hey, Stacy, happy birthday, baby, and may the 4th be with you. <laughs> thought I'd add a little. <laughs> yeah, that really helps. Adam Schmidt in Minnetonka, Minnesota, 10101. Uh, I'm amazed by the quality of the No Agenda show. I'm coming in again with my binary donation, which works out to be 21 in decimal, fittingly enough, to request some more karma from my sweet lady, Jenja the Ninja. The last batch worked. John, oh. since you know the correct pronunciation now, it's Minnesota, not Minnesota. All right, let me get some karma then. You've got... Karma. Warren Carroll in Des Moines, Washington, $100. The donations and thank you for providing such a great show for no upfront cost. This show has <laughs> opened my eyes and taught very simple journalism techniques to see through the media's bullshit. Yay! After watching the president's recent Afghanistan address, I, for the first time, searched for the actual document and read it. Some serious economic hits man stuff in it. Thank you, and you and you can look forward to more donations from me. P.S. I'm officially donating drunk. And by the way, uh, the document that uh, President Obama signed with uh, Karzai, that's the guy with the cape, in case you didn't know he was regal. He's got a cape. Uh, and that hat, is, the cape. and the and the and the hat is made out of uh, lamb fetus skin. No joke. Um, that the, 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 it means nothing because Congress has to ratify it, as does the Afghanistan Tribal Council or whatever. So it's 
completely meaningless, and it really says nothing. Other than that, we'll be at war until uh, for the next 24 years. <laughs> Yay! Kind of a Paul, Paul uh, Michael or Mi- Mi- Michelle. I don't know. What do you think? Michelle. Paul Michelle. Baltimore, Maryland, uh, guys, uh, 7777. Thanks for the great show. Keep up the good work. I need some gambling karma and some slide whistle to make sure it really works. All right, I'll hit the karma. You do the slide. You've got karma. Michael O'Grady, Augusta, Georgia, 5555. You missed Christopher. Oh, yeah. Sorry, we got two. uh, Oh, wow. This is the only one. We just barely snuck through. Christopher Yagi, Ottawa, Ontario, sixty nine, sixty nine, and that is our only sixty nine, sixty nine. Oh, it is. You're right. We almost broke the spell. Yeah, almost. Uh, Gerald Gionne or Janet in London, Ontario, sixty six, sixty six. No comment. Uh, Michael O'Grady, Augusta, Georgia, fifty five, fifty five. Been listening for some time now. I thought it was finally time to honor my biweekly entertainment duo. With the value, so they could preciously provide for the value they preciously provide. I, I like wish the, I, that it would, could be more. I like this. We are your bi-weekly entertainment duo: Adam Curry, John C. Deverick, 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 fighting evil. The American dream is taking its toll. For this modest amount, I've only have these requests: John, take a gander at the Australian economic theory. Mises.org has the audio libraries full of it, all for free. Austrian, I'm sorry. It will help to unify. No, I've read, I've read in Mises. And I know the Austrian theory. Um, somebody, I got I, I got a tip for you. It'll be in a future show for somebody that predates all these guys, and it's just like amazing. Uh, anyway, Adam, your evocation of Jim Croce and Prince on the Daily Source Code has left me deeply touched. Oh. I thank you for the experience. I cannot wait for another drunken DSC. Sounds the audible micurating. What the who? That's a uh, peeing. Oh, I peed. Uh, I peed. You were peeing on the show. Yeah, I took the the mobile mic outside and peed against the garage. It was a sound peeing ah, tour. That's entertainment, ladies and gentlemen. <laughs> hey, I'm not knocking our double nickels on the double nickels. Reverend O'Grady, uh, Joseph Esposito, Sir Joe the Dish Slave in Stockton, fifty five twelve, uh, wishing us a happy Sanko. Uh, put this donation toward my wife's damehood, and uh, can I get some clippity clop karma for our family? Oh, God. Sorry, I wasn't ready for that. Uh, Clippity-clop karma. Here we go. It's clippity-clop. The message is clear. Just (laughs) clippity-clop. You've got karma. Good one. I like that. Yeah, it's not not a bad combo. Okay, these all the following are going to be Sango to Mile 5512 donations. William Bryant in Spartanburg, South Carolina. I just want to get a quick karma for my good buddy Glenn Woodfin. At woodfin.com, glenwoodfin.com, who did a SEO work to correct the no agenda Google page listings a few shows back. It's right. Glenn Woodfin, he did a great job. G L E N W O O D F I N. He's got a great thumbs up for you guys, but I wanted to make sure his name got mentioned. He did also get me hooked up on no, hooked on no agenda. He could use some karma for more paid gigs. Well, this is the guy if you want to own the first eight pages of Google. This nine. is definitely the nine. No conflict. <laughs> You've got karma. JB's in Louisville, Kentucky. Uh, I was decided a portion of my annual Kentucky Derby bet was better served feeding value for value as a longtime boner, first time donor, along with this obligatory deducing. Can I get an L Sharpton conflict bite 
Follow, we all know we can dig that up that fast. Uh, followed with some synthesis slider love. So he needs a de-douching, and if you get the... I don't, uh, ha- I don't think I have. No, I don't think we have the con. The conflict one is not at the ready. It's not one we normally use. Let me just see. Uh, um, no, I don't. I'm sorry. And I don't have the synthesis slider hooked up either. Well, I feel, we give I feel a, bad. Give him, a, give him a, I'll tell you, give him a de-douching and a karma. De-douching and a karma. You got it. You've been de-douched. You've got karma. Steve, Bo- Steve Bottoms in Reno, Nevada. 5512 as is Ken Rourke, uh, who's going to be a knight, I think. Yep. Uh, he reached knighthood in the last donation. He's got a big hand, apparently. He's got a huge ring size. Uh, Sir Greg Laudrup in North Hills, California. Gracias, he says. Maxell Roberts in Crown Point, Indiana. Happy Cinco de Mayo. Take a shot of karma for myself. You've got karma. Matt Litke in Tinley Park, Illinois. I listened when you only had one show a week. I would like some new job karma and a birthday mention. We got you on the birthday list. My, And his birthday is Sanco de Mayo. That's interesting. And do I have a taco recipe? I do. Uh, <laughs> but you're not. We're not giving it to you. You well, I'm going to put it. In, people want these recipes in the news, hooked to the newsletter. So I'm going to do a little site with some. With a, maybe every few newsletters, I'll do a, a a cool recipe that I think is love easy. it. Yeah, I'd love it. I'd love to have some cool recipes. They're really Walter good. Walter Nicholson in Shreveport, Louisiana. Robert Weber in Lake Forest, California. Uh, thanking us for the show. Ian Gilman, Rockford, Illinois. Uh, don't jingle me, bro. I don't require any jingles for this donation. Donate any jingles you would normally have played to charity. Okay. <laughs> Sir Michael Miller in Tiburon. Sanco de Mayo. Darren Porter, Rockville, Indiana. Uh, Sam Leung, Leung. Uh, in uh, Toronto, Ontario. Leung. Is my Sanco de Mayo donation to the best podcast in the universe and also celebrate my birthday. We got him on the list. And calculations, he's also uh, a black knight. Yep. And uh, so we'll give him that. And uh, not getting laid karma for me. He needs some not getting laid. Wait. I think he wants Oh, yeah. And some not getting laid karma for me to keep focused on assassinating the media. Oh, he doesn't want to get laid. Okay. (laughs) Sure, dude. You've got karma. I want to check and see if you got a penis. Sir Dave probably does. A big one. (laughs) Sir David C. Pugh, North Canton, Ohio in the morning. Uh, Gregory Shun Jr., Green Bay, Wisconsin. Uh, also double nickels on that. And then $55 from Kyle McQuestion in McKeston in Pickering, Ontario. Take a week for the money to go through. Can I please get a douchebag from my father? Oh, what happened? Hey. Douchebag. Oh, Falling asleep. No, it didn't. It did, I fired it, but it didn't douchebag. go. There it goes. All right. Yeah, who poured my? We might as well get it ready for another one. Poured Monsanto's poison on the weeds. Oh no! And herbs growing in my vegetable garden because he's incredibly inconsiderate. Can I also get a karma for my garden because it will need all the help it can get? <laughs> Kills the garden. You've got <laughs> karma. Yeah. Abraham Daly, Gorham, uh, Maine, Maine, fifty-four forty-six. First time donor, fifty-four forty-six is a reference to Toots and the Maytals song. Huh. I know I'm not the first one to donate this amount. Not sure if this is where I need to leave my message. Apparently it is. Been listening since I first bought a used iPod for 25 bucks in 2008. Got into Twit, learned about No Agenda. It goes on and on. Uh, in the past year, I got a graduate assistant position at my school, so now I have some cash on hand, but I still remain a douchebag 
Started relisting the ODSC. I liked it a lot. Tonight I've been drinking beer with the local Sabago <laughs> Brewery, and he's a longtime douchebag. Doesn't deserve any karma. So pass any karma on to Ron Paul. All right, let's give it to Ronnie Boy then. You've got karma. Uh, what did I? I just clicked on something. Melody Man. I want to send a birthday shout out to Jim Mann, the considerate hubby who turned me on to this show way back when you thought you had fewer than 15 female listeners. But uh, what to get the man who has everything? Oh, good question. Why? Because the continuation of the best podcast in the universe, of course. Ladies, aren't you happiest when your man is happy? The formula is this. He supports the show. He's entertained and educated on his long commute, so he's unconcerned by the lamestream media. He looks cool and collected while everyone else is freaking out. The boss starts <laughs> noticing how often he pegs the global trends, so he gets a promotion. With a new promotion comes a gob of money, so he takes you on vacation. Not only should you cheerfully, cheerily support his wish to donate, you should tell him it's his duty to the well-being of his sweetie pie. That's one of the best sales pitches I've ever... We're going to put that sales pitch in one of the newsletters. That's a good one. (laughs) That is a good one. Just send it out to the ladies. Oh, the ladies. By the way, uh, we got an email from Sarah, who was a producer on episode 333. Yeah. With a picture. You saw the picture, didn't you? Oh, yeah. Yeah, Sarah. Whoa. Hotness. She was showing off. She's hot. Come on. She's super smoking hot. Oh, yeah. she's She's gorgeous. Yeah. Luke Rayner, London, London, I guess London, UK, because he gave us 33, 33 pounds, which converts to 5231. Um, love the show has become even more valuable sur- source of news to me since I am currently taking a year long sabbatical from my job feeding young human resources delusions of grandeur, college <laughs> music, music teacher. <laughs> I no longer have the 45 minute morning commute in which I listen to shows to Radio Forest today's show. I feel so much better for not hearing the brainwashing yet soothing tones of John Humphreys. Hmm. And I get a shot of karma for my apps, AdSense site business. Uh, future project of mine, keeping an AdSense site where profits will go to no agenda. That sounds good. Yeah, He needs a karma shot. You've got karma. Jeffrey Anderson in Pittsburgh, Pennsylvania, 5115, says the last show was great. And did not suck. You guys always do a great job no matter what the donations show. I'm giving value for value to a palindromic tune, 5115. I was greedy and selfish and asking to get laid karma. I'd rather do this, and I'd rather ask for regular karma to meet a nice girl worthy of marrying. That's the right way to do things. Keeping with the theme of Adam's DSC, I'll give out a good quote from the comedic genius who is no longer with us, a legend. If one of you can guess without consulting the book of knowledge, I will transfer and send over a bonus, 3333. Oh, yes, it is obvious to my trained eye that there's much more going on here than meets the ear. George Carlin. Probably. Mm-hmm. Uh, Sean Pyle, Streamwood, Illinois, 5101. Last few shows you mentioned donations are down and have run a very lengthy and detailed scientific analysis. I think my algorithm has identified the cause of this anomaly. Oh. Donations equals down. Why? Because two words, slide whistle. <laughs> As a long-time listener, I've always cringed when I heard. In recent months, it's always been more like the John C. Dvorak slide whistle show. Then no agenda. And now there's two of them. <laughs> As an experiment, go two weeks with no slide whistle. I have a suspicion donations will go up inversely with decreased slide whistle. I suspect only people that like the slide whistle are the same people that purchase Zamfir CDs. <laughs> George Zamfir. From, from 3 a.m. infomercials. 
What do you say? Do you think we can uh, abstain for, for two weeks? I'll think about it. I think it adds a dimension to the show that no other show has. I agree. So anyway, we have a number of $50 donations, including Alan Levine for Congress.com, which is A-L-L-A-N-L-E-V-E-N. We want him in. I'm, I'm confused. He keeps sending us notes that it's not working. Yet he it keeps donating. That the, his donations to the show are not creating karma or whatever for him. He, said, he keeps sending long notes. You read the notes. Send him some karma right now. Yeah. Hey, all right. And, and go and vote for this guy. It sounds good. Yep, you've got karma. You have to be in Georgia. I don't know how many listeners we have in Georgia. We got listeners in Georgia. For sure so. we do. A-L-L-A-N-L-E-V-E-N-E. It's Sir Christopher Lawton in Dartmouth, Massachusetts. Uh, 50. Andrew Heverson in Gravenhurst, Ontario. 50. Alan Martin in No Place, un- Parts Unknown. Greg Brunstall, Kenosha, Wisconsin. He's going to become a knight. He's $50 in. Je- Jeffrey Moldner in Omaha, Nebraska. 50. Vicki Bryden in Monmouth, Maine says, My husband and I both love the show. Please keep up the good work. We are first time donors and would like a de douching with some karma. And more slide whistle from both John and Adam. Oh. And more foodie stuff from John, she says. Wow, all right. Oh, this is rocking. You've been de-douched. You've got karma. Robert Dearden is got Black Knight Robert in Hoboken, New Jersey, also 50. Now, here's what we're going to do. We are going to, I'm going to create, this won't happen right away, but I'm going to create a, like a, because people donate at different amounts. We'll have like two donation special voting donations where people will will vote with their with their money literally and so as they vote if they select one it'll be similar amounts like a small amount just so we can count votes small amount and then if they, they'll be like six and five or ten and eleven something like that and then we'll add the votes up after like a month of this and then we'll decide that will kill the slide whistle if uh and no you know you can vote as many times as you want but uh, we will notice this. If it's, if it's all the one same guy, you know, then we'll think twice about it. Wow, John, what a spectacular promotion. Yeah. Yeah, great. Dude, says Richard Terry, dry firing a gun can damage it. <laughs> yeah, you know, a lot of people say that. There's a lot, that's as controversial as does it really. He says just because it's rare to break doesn't mean it won't. Where I used to sell guns, we would refuse to even show someone a firearm if they dry fire without a snap cap. Plus, it's bad safety practice. I know too many people who accidentally shot someone while thinking it was unloaded. (laughs) Well, that's a problem. That's true. That's true. That's true. All right. Well, uh, thank you all very much. Uh, Because of our Cinco de Mayo celebrations, uh, rather long, but there's plenty more value for value where all that came from. And I do have a very quick... 2009 update. Um, we seem to have a little problem. Uh, Brandon, uh, who I'm hoping can become Baron Von Brandon of the great state of Texas, is concerned that Mustang Sally won't be able to pull his trailer. Yes. A lot of people have this Did concern. Did you do some look? Did you look it up? It's in the book. Well, here's the problem. Because, uh, yeah, I have the... The Dodge Ram 1500, but it's the big block, and all the specs that I see everywhere has it with the smaller block. And I think that, well, anyway, we're going to test it out when he comes back. But he says, test it? Well, testing is we're going to flat areas of Texas, and not going to be the same uh, as going up to Rockies. We have a hill here, quite a hill. Oh, you have a hill. Quite a hill, yes. He says, ideally, you should have Dodge 2500, 3500, Ford F 250, F 350. 
I mean, I don't have any of this. I got the, the 1500 Sport, which uh, is has the short bed, has back seats, so it has the dual, you know, the the dual cab, and but it has the big block. But people are saying, hey, you can burn out your transmission, your brakes. I'm, I'm getting worried about this. Yeah, it's got nothing to do with the engine if the transmission can't deal with it. Mm. How do I know if the transmission can deal with it? Well, you could always just, just see what happens. We'll find out the thing, and then you have to get a new transmission. <laughs> Apparently, we're going to find. There's got to be some documentation on this. I'm not buying the fact that there's no documentation no. that could just say yes, you can pull that trailer. Well, there's numbers, and the numbers say that even a 1500 small block should technically be able to pull it, but not. You wouldn't go up the hill because we're going to go through the Rockies now. Uh, by the way, Mickey at Curry.com is the email address. You can email Ms. Mickey, and she's uh, taking care of everything. Looks like we're getting some, uh, we're, we're, we're definitely getting some meetups organized, which is very exciting. So people are getting on board. And you can go to itm.im slash tour09 for all of the information. Dvorak.org slash N-A. And remember that you will go to Dvorak.org slash N-A and find about the stupid slide whistle competition John is uh, putting together. Uh, but also you can continue your donations for Cinco de Mayo and for your knighthoods, obviously. It's your birthday, birthday, hey, 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 on no agenda. Alex Walter congratulates his wife, Stacy. She turns 40th on 40 on Friday. Melody Mann says happy birthday to her man, Jim Mann, her husband. Sam Long, Leng, congratulates himself on the third. One day we'll get his name right. And Matt Litka congratulates himself. He celebrates on Saturday on Cinco de Mayo. Happy birthday, everybody, from your buddies here at the No Agenda Show. And we've got to move along swiftly here as we have a number of people tonight. And this is great news. Uh, these are people, some of them have been longtime donors of the program, giving us our value for value and our achieving knighthood. You'll get your rings. Uh, 2012, the last year, we'll be able to do the rings. After that, it's a, a new premium item. Uh, but of course, who cares? Because we'll all be dead. <clears throat> That's on the 20th. Sword? What's a dead day? What's a dead day? 21st. 12, 20, 21st. 21st. Sword. Sword. Yeah, Present here, here. arms! <laughs> okay. Ian Seamus. Aslak Christensen. Kent O'Rourke. Sam Luang. And Greg Brunsell. Step forward. Gentlemen, congratulations. All of you have contributed to the No Agenda podcast in the amount of at least $1,000, including those who are Black Knights. Very proud to have you here supporting our program, and I hereby pronounce these. Sir Ilion, Sir Aslak, Sir Kent, Sir Sam, and Sir Greg. Knights of the No Agenda Roundtable. Hookers and Blow, Rent Boys and Chardonnay, Wenches and Beer, or Hot Pants and Booze. The choice is yours, and you deserve it. That's a pretty good group. That's a great group. Good people, too. All good people. Really, really good. Thank you all so much. Uh, it's encouraging. It helps us continue doing what we do. And it's quite a bit of work. And, I, and there's actually a lot more work where uh, we've, done so, we've done a lot already. Um, let's see. Well, I do have a fun clip. Oh, okay. I got some. It's a long ones. clip. You can cut it here and there, but it's just probably worth listening to most of it. Okay. This is a clip I found, a uh, little background. John Walker is a uh, very interesting person. He's I love his He's, whiskey. John, No, this is the John Walker that founded Autodesk. Oh, what is, what is, what, is, what is Autodesk? Is, is that a CAD system? Yeah, it is the CAD system. Okay. 
Computer aided so design. He's, he's worth. I estimate is worth at about three hundred million, maybe. Okay. And um, on either side of it, and he uh, renounced his U.S. citizenship some years ago, and uh, kind of shook his fist at the country and left and moved to Switzerland. Right. Where he lives right. in a in some place in Switzerland. In Zug. And his money is. He's a very conservative investor. And his money's managed by Goldman Sachs. Ooh. And so, and by the way, to say when he left the country, he had, he apparently did a bumper sticker, although I've never verified this with him. I've only communicated with him a few times, uh, that said, uh, when Russia, communist Russia fell, it was like, he said, evil, one evil empire down, one to go. <laughs> oh. Okay. Russian flag and American flag. So he's got the uh, issues with the American government. So he had a meeting with Goldman Sachs that he recorded and then published on his website, oh. which, is, which is called Formi Labs. It's like Fermi Labs, only spelled F O U R M I L A B S dot C H. And he has all kinds of crazy stuff on that, that website that's very entertaining and very interesting. And he likes to write book reviews and he's got some. It's what rich guys do. Or, yeah, or really poor guys like us who had nothing better to do. Yeah, well, he's he's got more time on his hand, maybe. Whatever the case is, he, he apparently had been doing business with Goldman Sachs since 86, and he was irked with them because they started soliciting him because he has no, he doesn't, all he invests is, is uses for Swiss francs and he invests in sovereign debt of the most secure countries of the, of the world. Like Greece? And that's all he wants to do. He, his Spain. whole goal. Sorry? Like Greece and Spain and the no, Netherlands? No, he doesn't do that. Oh. His, no, and anything but. His goal is to not lose a nickel. Mm-hmm. He says he's got plenty of money. He doesn't want, he just, he feels a lot of people invest. They make a bunch of money and then they blow it. Mm. And so his approach is just the opposite. So the Goldman Sachs guys keep kept firing his, his uh, broker, you know, his various brokers. They, they, they have a broker for you. They fire him. And, it, and it, the brokers got back to Walker that they were firing him because they weren't selling him this junk. <laughs> they weren't stuff. gouging him enough. They weren't gouging him enough, right? So they, they reorged the whole Goldman Sachs Swiss operation and brought in a – I can't describe him as anything other than a douchebag. The guy shows up at Walker's house with his assistant – and they try to sell him on different things and try to make make him feel better because I guess he was going to walk with his funds. Well, how many millions he's got with him, I don't know. He was just going to leave them to tell Goldman to screw it. And by the way, and he mentions in his blog that two weeks after this this interview, which this this conversation, which was recorded with their knowledge because the recorder was right in the middle of the table, uh, he quit them anyway because he just was not convinced these guys were in looking out. They wouldn't pro- follow his simple instructions. But I only took a small snippet, but but you can imagine this went on for this is an hour. But I, I we'll post it on the website eventually. I'll put it on my blog. But this is a small snippet that is hilarious. Incorrect, and it's a spin that you have received from people that have. You know, ulterior motives. Uh, yes, and they have decided to progress their career and their and their and their. Uh, or we decided that. that he oh, by the way, stop, stop, stop. The guy uses this term. This is the guy from Goldman Sachs. The the, the fired guys were progressing their career. <laughs> I've never heard this term before. He says, "Oh no, he decided to progress his career, or we've decided to progress his career." Now I like that. Fired. I've been uh, career progressed many times. Yeah, I'll bet. 
one of the reasons why we have decided that they should progress their career somewhere else is because they were telling things like that to clients. So, so, so it is not true that you have given call sheets for specific products to your customer representatives in which they have to confirm that they called and pitch that product to their client. That, that's not that's true. That's never happened to me. I've been here for no. Years that's that's not the question. Is is it does that happen? That we, it, it does happen that we have product launches that we have, and that we identify clients that might be interested in those products, and that part of the responsibility of the sales force is where applicable and where suitable and where appropriate to contact clients to market those products. Absolutely, yeah. but in situations where we have a discretionary relationship and where, especially where we have guidelines or restriction from clients in doing something that is completely different that has nothing to do with and that. And so, so why, why, why is it then that when I have a discretionary agreement mm-hmm. which is strictly limited in its guidelines, yeah. I received by email yeah. a pitch for the Facebook deal, <laughs> right. which said that if I disclosed it, I would be subject to criminal penalties in the United States of America. Well, That's the most outrageous thing I have ever received in my entire life. I would have sent it to the Financial Times, and let, except I went to their website and it was already there. <laughs> that was an outrage. Well, why did I receive that? <laughs> I've been in this meeting. <laughs> uh, oops. Well, you know, the, the fact that... No, I don't the, know. I asked you. Why no, did no, I receive the that? Fact, I said yes. The, <laughs> yes, address the question. This is obviously a deal that we have facilitated and a deal that we have promoted to some of our clients, right? Uh, it is part of the discretion of our investment professional to present and propose investment opportunities to clients, right? And, you know, one of the things that we ask our investment professional to exercise their judgment is... To what clients is suitable or appropriate to present those type of offers, and to what clients is not appropriate or suitable to present those offers. Right? So it was full discretion to present that to me Absolutely. after we have had conversations in an interval of every six months over a period of two years, in which he never raised anything like that to me before, in which I made it perfectly clear that I am the most risk-averse investor you have ever met, that I have no interest in equities because a huge amount of my net worth is still in one NASDAQ stock, the company that I founded. Yep. And suddenly it popped into his head <laughs> to say, this is a guy I should pitch the Facebook deal. I'm actually very familiar this, with that situation, yes. so let me address that. Sure. Sure. That's absolutely the case. And the reason is that uh, you know, <laughs> I was part already at the time of the Facebook offering of, and responsible right. for this entity. And I can tell you that I didn't list it and I didn't provide any client list and I didn't have any conversation with uh, suggesting that he should pitch that product to you. And I can tell you that in uh, in London, uh, they would not know, frankly, who you are and what your accounting is. <laughs> That's even worse. By the way, we don't even give a crap who you are, man. We don't know in London. We don't give a shit about you. To that information. So it was... I'm, I'm quite comfortable in saying that it was a product or an op- investment opportunity that we had, and that probably that and uh, understood or uh, or uh, fully fully grasped the extent to which you didn't want to be shown op- investment opportunity like that one. And in any case, this is a deal that we would have never booked or invested in on a discretionary basis in uh, in the context of the mandate that you had given us. So there are clients that appreciate to be shown opportunities and, or shown right. investment ideas, well, and there are clients that are not because they're not consistent with it. But, but know, in 25 years, nothing like that had ever happened before. Right. That was a long clip. 
So anyway, the it was a long clip. But there's a funny thing. They start off with their sales force sales. They're talking about the sales guys, sales guys. And then they change it. They change the term to uh, investment professional. Yes. <laughs> Who is progressing his career. Professional investment professional. That's great. Anyway, the guy was... The whole thing is an hour, and it is just one of those meetings that you're just a fly on the wall, and you just shake your head the whole time. It's just like these guys are trying to sell, 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 and he's not he's 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 not even remotely interested in anything they have to sell, so he dumped them. Well, this leads me uh, nicely into the next segment, which uh, revolves around uh, the presidential hopeful uh, Congressman Ron Paul who now that Newt Gingrich is officially out, uh, is uh, the, the, the contender against Mitt Romney. And he's been doing some very interesting appearances uh, of late, which I like very much. I think it's an interesting strategy. Uh, first it was CNBC. He was on the morning show as a guest host. And then he appeared on Bloomberg television, which, again, has a rating of uh, asterisk. However, a lot of people do watch Bloomberg television who are in the financial industry and who have access to cash and and could possibly support him. I kind of like this is surely a Doug Weed strategy. Uh, Did you see this where it was Paul versus Paul? Did you see this particular item? No, I did not. Ron Paul versus Paul Krugman. Now, Paul Krugman is, I believe, a Nobel Prize winning economist who writes for the New York Times. Correct? Yeah. And uh, I think the guy always comes across as a dick. Yeah, he does. And um, so there was this tete-a-tete. No, he didn't, he didn't win a Nobel. He won a Pulitzer doing this. Krugman? I thought he... No, I'm pretty wait, sure. Let me, wait, it Paul Krugman. Let me look him up. We, we have to be accurate. Book of Knowledge. We do it in real time, everybody. We consult the Book of Knowledge. Oh, there he is. Yeah, I thought, uh, he, I thought he was a Nobel, Nobel Prize-winning economist, if I'm not mistaken. Public Princeton, uh, yep, yep, informally, the, oh, he won the, he, the Sperges Riechsbach Prize in Economic Sciences, informally the Nobel Prize. Oh, for okay, so his credentials are even kind of lame But he, he always comes across as a dick. I can't help it. You know, he writes stuff, you know, I don't know. He looks like a douchebag. Yeah, he does. So Got the douchebag uh, beard. Yeah. Douchebag. So he's actually in studio, which always gives an upper hand for someone. Oh, yeah. Uh, yeah, you're in the studio. You got the upper hand. Uh, but this was a very interesting exchange. I've cut it down uh, into two pieces, and I will. And I'm going to play this first piece, and then I'm going to ask you some questions about it because you, of course, have studied the Austrian economics, which Ron Paul subscribes to. And then we will play clip two as uh, it turns into a war on history. Well, there's certain things you know. You can't leave the government out of monetary policy. If you try to think, you know, we're, we're going to just let it set itself, it doesn't happen. The government is actually always, uh, the, the Federal Reserve, the central bank, is always going to be in the business of managing uh, monetary policy. If you think that, that you can avoid that, um, you're, living in some, you're living in the world as it was 150 years ago, right? We have a, an economy in which money is not just green pieces of paper. With, uh, with faces of dead presidents on them. Money is, is, uh, is the result of the financial system. It includes a variety of assets. We're not even quite sure where the line between money and non-money is. It's kind of a, a continuum. And look, history tells us that, in fact, an un, a completely unmanaged economy is subject to extreme 
volatility, subject to extreme downturns. I know there's this legend that people like, probably you, Congressman, have that the Great Depression was somehow caused by the government, caused by the Federal Reserve, but it's not true. The reality is that was a market economy run amok, which happens, happened repeatedly over, our, over the past couple of centuries. You do need, you know, I, I'm actually, I'm a believer in the market economy. I'm a believer in capitalism. I want the market economy to be left as free as it can be, but there are limits. You do need the government to step in to stabilize. Depressions are a bad thing for capitalism, and it's the role of the government to make sure that they don't happen, or if they do happen, that they don't last too long. So here, uh, Paul Krugman, the fake Nobel Prize winner. Well, we, we have to remember, right off the bat, uh, he, he, he brings in a piece of questionable uh, uh, information that, that ruins the premise of whatever he's going to say from then on. He says the Great Depression... He's, the Great Depression happened during the reign of the Federal Reserve, which is supposed to control things to the point where you don't have a Great Depression. So it via, so his logic is already askew because, you know, the Federal Reserve was in full force during the Great oh, Depression. Yeah. Oh, yeah. They weren't and they weren't doing anything to stop the Great Depression. No, they triggered so, it. So, well, that's arguable. I think it's a cycle. So nobody triggered it. Mm-hmm. But that's, an, you know, that's another debate. So he immediately is dealing with a false premise. And so the whole thing, for me at least right now, is completely off the tracks. And right he, off the bat. And he goes on to do two things. First, he says, this is the role of government, which I have not read in the Constitution. It's not supposed to be the role of our government. Would you agree? Yeah, I agree with that. And with you. And the second thing, which was annoying to me, is he pulls out a meme which has been used consistently against uh, the congressman the next president of the United States, he says, you, you want to take us back 100, 150 years. You want to turn back the clock. You're living 100 years ago, douche. This is something that I've heard over and over again. Correct? Yeah, and he said 150, which is funny since the, the yeah, Federal Reserve is only 100. 100 yeah. 90, yeah, it's not even 100 years old. But he, he does it for effect. He's like, but the, it's a meme, and they've been using it over and over again. Ron Paul, however, was prepared for this. Oh, yeah? I'll take your hundred and I'll do it times 10, bitch. And it really destroys an important feature of the economy, and, and that is savings. Savings tells us something, and it tells us if capital is available. This notion that capital can come out of the expansion of the money supply is remote. Now, uh, Professor Krugman indicates that we just want to go back to 100 years or so. That is not exactly true. We'd like to improve on what was like back then, but he wants to go back 1,000 years or 2,000 years, just as the Romans and the Greeks and all other countries debased their currency. They didn't have a computer. This idea that we need a Federal Reserve to run things, well, federal uh, uh, or a central bank, that's just a modern era. Now, now and, uh, Representative it's Paul, never, it's, can you clarify, what do you mean by go back a thousand years? Is, is, is that fair? Clarify well, what, what uh, you mean what, by that. What, uh, yeah. What did, what did the Romans do to their currency? Uh, the, the, the Benzantine Empire had a gold standard for a thousand years, and they did quite well, and they didn't fight wars. But the Roman Empire eventually destroyed their currency. They put a wage and price controls before they diluted the metals, they inflated, they thought wealth could come by fooling the people. Who would want today, if they had, if they had ten years to send their kid to college, would they put their money in gold coins or a treasury bill making one or two percent? Take that, you silly ass fake noble noble <laughs> economist i think you're a hundred years i'm making a thousand years i i think was, i really like that i thought that was a very good point yeah it was good 
It was and, good, the, the, good. The 40 people, yourself included, that watched it were probably impressed. And you know what Krugman's uh, retort was? No, he, I know what it was. It was like, no, I'm not, and so are you, or something like that. <laughs> yeah, very close to it. They yeah. can't keep up with the inflation or the devaluation of the currency. There'd be nothing there. Right. Nobody puts their money in think a ten-year bond. Okay. Be, I, I am not a defender of the economic policies of the Emperor Diocletian. So I'm not a defender of the Emperor Diocletian. Get out there and whoop Obama's behind. Playing that at rallies for Ron Paul, <laughs> they really, really should. You know that was lame. That oh, I you know he knew the Diocletian. Uh, that was really that childish. was poor. Yeah, because it's a douche. I mean, he might as well have just said whatever. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> I'm just saying, dude. Hey, Ron, I'm just saying whatever, whatever. All right, um, two more little ditties I've got for. We have to go a little bit longer, just a little bit because of the. Uh, the amount of donations, or at least until we're tired of each other, which is that moment is coming. Happened. Yeah. Um, so uh, a lot of uh, techno expert stuff going on at Gimmo Nation East in the United Kingdom as the Pirate Bay has now officially been blocked or there is now a law that says ISPs, Internet Service Providers, can no longer allow access to the Pirate Bay, which, of course, is laughable like this is going to stop anything. Uh, and Virgin Media, of course, Richard Branson, little slut that he is, is right on board. They're the first ones to block it. And um, there was an interesting conversation on the Today Show, uh, the Today Program, I should say, in, uh, in Gitmo Nation East. Let me just uh, see, because they had on the guy who's in charge of... Um, the, what do you call it, the the ISP alliance or whatever, and they had the member of parliament, the woman on, I can't find her name right now, um, who you know essentially says we've got to block everything and uh, we've got to stop all this. So it's about the Pirate Bay, right? It's about the Pirate Bay. But what does the conversation turn to within 30 seconds? Can you guess? No. Oh, yes, you can. Well, it's a bit as if you're ducking your responsibility here. If you know, and everybody does know, that certain websites offer something illegal, why do you not simply block that? Why do you need a court to tell you to do that? Well, content is... is uh, there's a variety of contents on the internet. There's, there's music, there's films, there's millions of websites. Of and it's not for the ISPs to be the police of all that content. Why not? Out there. Why not? I mean, you are making it possible for them to do something illegal, whether we're talking about films or music or indeed pornography, oh! hardcore pornography. Oh! Why should you not there it is. put in place restrictions on Who those people? Who is this guy? He's the host of Today Program. Yeah, but he doesn't stop. It's now. It's all about porn of your own volition. Well, 
We've worked in lots of places. If you look at what uh, the internet industry has done over many, many years to protect children online, a lot of work has been done in setting up the Internet Watch Foundation, and that's to do with material that is child abuse material and clearly breaks the law. And any so child can access pornography tomorrow or today in the next ten minutes at the drop of that. They know exactly what to do and how to do it if they can get it because you haven't blocked it. You haven't made it impossible well, for them to get it. <laughs> oh, won't somebody please think of the children? Final, final thought. Sorry, run out. Uh, do you accept that the whole that the internet is changing? It's, of course it's changing, and it will continue to change, and that's why the ISPs are being uh, very receptive to having these conversations, talking about what is the best way of dealing to protect children, but at the same time to allow people to see content that they want to see that does not break the law. John, and we also have to make sure that... Very, very quickly. I think the, the time is coming when the internet should not be treated differently from any other form of media. We don't accept it with any other media, with telly or mobile phones or anything else. Why should the internet be different? Oh. This is the, 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 the guy should go on and say, look, here's the problem. You know, yeah, your company can block whatever it wants. I'm like the guy who sells ink to the printers. I got nothing to do with what they print with it. But it's even worse. The member of parliament said we need to treat it like any other media. Yeah, that's like what I said, but the, but the ISP is not, the, the, it's just a neutral, it's like the ink manufacturer. They got nothing to do with any of this. No, you of course look not. look at all the content that's flying by. I mean, it's impossible. John! 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 <laughs> oh, won't somebody please think of the children? <laughs> I, you, I didn't know you could. You, you used it once. It was beautiful. <laughs> now then you draw attention to it. Yeah, because you're you're like, you're making our point for us again. We don't have to do that. Of course, it's like ink for the printer. But the douchebags there consider it to be media. Who is this idiot? A member of parliament. Uh, someone in the chat room will know. Oh, it's just horrible people. Uh, yeah. Why don't you give him a douchebag? Give yeah. it to him. Come yeah, on. Douchebag. Now, you want to hear some real douchebaggery? Haven't, uh, you know, entire months go by that I don't think of flipping to MTV for good reason. Because I'm from Jersey, and Jersey Shore does not represent. But there's a. Um, there's a program on, um, I don't know if this was, if they do this on television or if they only do it on the website. It's called MTV's Rap Fix. Rap Fix. The Rap Fix. We're going to fix it. And on this program, they had Killer Mike and uh, Prodigy from Mob Deep. You know those guys, right? You, oh, yeah, yeah, we are. You're rocking their tunes. And... The most insanely interesting conversation about Trayvon Martin and George Zimmerman. And we just got to listen to this because there are two points of view here. But the things that are being said are mind boggling. I mean, it's definitely a murder. You know what I mean? That dude. Just definitely, uh, right off the bat. Uh, it definitely a murder. You know that dude? That Zimmerman dude. Definitely a murder. Murder him in cold blood. Cold blood. You know, he was out there thinking whatever in his mind that. Who knows what was going through his mind? He was doing out there that uh, the do Zimmerman. Do Zimmerman, hey, the do Zimmerman. Who? By the way, that's racial at this point. Because you don't say dude to black people, do you? Now it's a, that's a white guy thing. You dude, a dude Zimmerman. This is this is so wrong. That this is being fed to our children. I don't know what he thought he was doing. You know what I mean? But um, you know what I mean? He murdered that kid for no reason, like that. Because you know we had the court. You know he had murdered a kid for no reason. You know what I mean? No, man. And, and to me, it's up. It's up to the police department out there in Sanford 
to handle that the right way, they were supposed to arrest him. <laughs> you know what I mean? Because that's the law in Florida. Is you know, it's self defense law in Florida, but you got to prove it was self defense in court. You can't just tell the police, oh, it was self defense, and then you walk away and they don't arrest you. They're supposed to arrest you, and then there's a trial, and you have to prove it was self defense. The burden of proof is on the, is on the person that's claiming self defense. Oh, this is new. <laughs> the burden of proof is on the on the on the charged. This is being fed to our children, John, through popular rap music, the bad old rap music, and it gets better. Mm-hmm. I mean, doesn't that? I, you know, I don't know law. I didn't study <laughs> law, so uh, uh, it's not like that in the south. Not- now here's Killer Mike. Killer Mike is better. I like no, that in the south. Nah, it's not like that in the south. Georgia has the same law. It's one committee that writes these laws, be and what they do is they 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 target states where the gun lobby is strong and they know they can get it passed. In Georgia, if you make me feel threatened, I can legally kill you. Uh-huh. The, the problem is these idiots who we have supposedly leaders of the black community, they tell you to de-arm yourself when you should be arming yourself. If you live below the Mason-Dixon line, gun laws allow for you to arm yourself, you should be armed. Uh-huh. You know what I mean? Because you, we live in a state where we are hunted. <laughs> oh, God. <laughs> We live in a state in Georgia where we are hunted. Really? They're just hunted. <laughs> it's just like a new I'd game. I'd the state of Georgia if I was being hunted constantly. I do agree, though. He said, yeah, you should definitely be armed. Absolutely. Yeah, That'll well, even everything out. That's like Texas. Everyone's armed. Everyone's polite. There's no, no problem going on. This is, this, is, this is being broadcast to children. No. Oh. I'm telling you, we're, this is doomed. We're, all we're doing is we're painting the end of times on this show. <laughs> painting the end of times. Well, if you're in Boston, um, next time you take the subway, <laughs> the metro, uh, you know what the Department of Homeland Security is planning on doing? In Boston at the metro? Yeah. What? The Department of Homeland Security has installed sensors in the MBTA system to detect biological agents, and they've been testing to see how the air moves. Now they want to release particles in the tunnels to see how well the sensors work. I wonder why they have to like test it live like this. I don't know. Can they test it somewhere else? I don't. Not where there's actual like people around. Federal officials tell us they plan to test the subway sensors by releasing a bacteria that they say is used in food supplements. They say it's been rigorously tested and has no adverse health effects for low exposure with healthy people. Is there any risk for us? You know, they say for healthy people, what if, who are the majority of the riders on the subway too? So I'm, I'm so so. I'm not too, too worried about the tests because they have really rigorous uh, hoops ah, they have to jump through, dude. I'm sure. And <laughs> I, I think I would trust those hoops personally. Trust the hoops. Now, federal officials tell me that they plan to release this bacteria during off-peak hours, probably overnight. Now, they are inviting the public to give input. This is required by law. They've also set up a hearing so that people can come and ask questions and voice their opinions. That will be here in Cambridge on May 16th. And for more information on all of this, you can log on to our website. Yeah. Here's my input. Don't do it. This is a very bad idea. This has been done before. This was done in the, uh, I think, the... 50s maybe in the in different parts of the country they're, they're always testing you know patrolling and then people get sick because there's a bunch of people who are allergic to some of these shall things I tell you it what turns the, out to be a fiasco shall I tell you what the bacteria is 
I was, I'm looking for it now. What is it? B. subtilis, as in Bacillus subtilis, also known as the hay bacillus or grass bacillus, a gram-positive, catalase-positive bacteria commonly found in soil. Um, unlike several other well-known species, B. subtilis has historically been classified as an obligate aerobe, and apparently it will kill old people. Well, maybe that's what they're trying to do. Well, usually maybe this is a cover-up for just killing some of the old people <laughs> in Boston. They're annoying. <laughs> well, the thing is, uh, it stays around. It, it reproduces for decades. It doesn't go away. Oh, yeah. It'll, the whole subway system will stink. Does it have a smell? I'm sure. After it starts reproducing and, and then kind of malforming into some sort of... And it rots when it dies like anything else. A dead bacteria smell. It can remain viable for decades and is resistant to unfavorable environmental conditions. But that one woman says, oh, we can trust them. This is like that bonehead I had on the clip show, but we had him before. He says, with the lisp, this kid, oh, you know, what else can we do? Let him you know, test us. Let him strip us at the, at the airports. Let him x-ray us. And so you got better be safe than sorry. These kinds of people. Well, this also, you know, is a potential for a false flag. This uh, happens very often when, uh, you know, there's a test and well, we'll set up a drill and then all of a sudden, oh, it's real. Someone put a real, uh, some real bad crap down there. That is possible. Uh, don't know if it's going to happen, but it's possible. However, what we really need to be uh, freaked out about is that the H5N1 um, paper is going to be published. In fact, the headline from Time, another compromised news source, says H5N1 paper published deadly transmissible bird flu could be closer than thought. This is this is the uh, the scientist, one from University of Wisconsin and the Dutch scientist from uh, Erasmus University in Rotterdam. Uh, they're going to publish the paper on how to make the bird flu swine flu combo. Yeah, so we can kill everyone. Yeah. So look for a lot of stories about uh, dying of bird flu and probably yeah, ramping up some vaccines or something or doing something nice about that. What's interesting, and I'm following this not for this show, uh, but the way that uh, medical, the, you know, the, the, the medical journal system is effed. Do you know anything about this? How Elsevier, uh, who uh, publishes these, they charge universities for the publishing. Yeah, and then you had to get a subscription, which cost a fortune. You would have cost to subscribe to Nature yeah, magazine, forty thousand a year. Yeah, yeah, forty thousand a year. But they charge by each subscriber, so you pay for your subscription. But if your um, if your paper is published, so first it goes through a peer review, which is anonymous, so that can be rigged. Um, you know, payoffs, etc. Then they publish it. You, as the as the university that publishes, has to pay thirty dollars per recipient of the paper. Wow, that's high. Yeah, that's crazy. Yeah, there's your CPM. Yeah, it's not a cost per thousand. What's the cost per thousand on that? Multiplied. I have no thirty thousand dollars is your CPM. Yeah, I have no idea how many people subscribe, but I was like, wow, that's pretty pretty out there. Reading some of the stuff about during a Senate hearing in 1977, it was revealed that the Pentagon had conducted numerous secret germ attacks 
on cities without public knowledge in an effort to test the threat posed by biological agents. In other words, this isn't anything new. These tests may have caused outbreaks of disease, which occurred in some of the test areas, writes Leonard A. Cole, citing a Senate inquiry. Since the 1940s, the military and the CIA have conducted numerous tests Mm. on the American people, including the release of dengue fever-carrying mosquitoes in Georgia and Florida. Woot! (laughs) Oh, man, love it. So here's... um I don't know if you received this. I got a lot of these. Apparently, nuclear experts from the U.S. and Japan, such as Robert Alvarez of the Institute for Policy Studies, have sent an urgent letter to United Nations Secretary General Ban Ki-moon, who are warning about the high risk of the Fukushima Unit 4 spent nuclear fuel pool. That one more earthquake and the whole world is going to die of radiation. Yeah, I, I saw this. Now, this is everywhere. You can you can just Google. It's, like, it's a meme. Right. Well, no, it's a copy-paste thing. Well, it's becoming a meme. So I consulted our resident uh, nuclear power expert, Atomic Rod, and he sent me the American Nuclear Society Fukushima Daiichi ANS Committee report. And nothing could be further from the truth, according to the report. And I tend to believe the report. Uh, here's just two quick uh, notes from it that you mean you to believe this. the report from a source that we kind of, that we trust, as opposed to some hysteric making it up. Well, let me tell you about the hysteric in a minute. First, let me give you the details of the report. Then I'll tell you about this guy Robert Alvarez because I figured out some stuff about him. Uh, Fukushima Daiichi's Unit 4 spent fuel pool has been carefully inspected by seismic engineers. Where necessary, structural reinforcement was added. Qualified engineers believe that the pool and its supports are sound and would not be affected if an earthquake the size of the one, which was unique, uh, which could happen in another 1,800 years, unless an earthquake machine is turned on again. Uh, The initial event occurred right at the site of the reactor, so it would be very interesting if it happened again at the exact same spot, the exact same magnitude. And from the report... In April, a concern developed centered around the strength of the structure supporting Unit 4 SFP. Between May 31st and June 20th, steel support pillars were installed to provide protection against damage that might result from additional seismic events. And from that report, Robert Alvarez has deemed everything to be so dangerous, we're going to die, that you know we have this meme to UN Secretary General Ban Ki-moon. Let me tell you about uh, Robert Alvarez. Uh, he was a music major in college <laughs> before he dropped out. So, <laughs> And he is uh, the resident nuclear expert at the Institute for Policy Studies. You should take a look at this uh, outfit. It's ips-dc.org. Uh, huge. Harry Belafonte is on the board of trustees. But here's what's interesting. Well, that's a giveaway. He was um, an analyst... I'm sorry, he was, uh, he was the, uh, the head of the Department of Energy during the Clinton administration, but was fired from that job after his teenage daughter turned him in for growing dozens of pot plants in their basement. More interesting, he got married in that time, just before he was appointed the Department of Energy uh, chief. He was married to an anti-nuclear activist lawyer who represented Karen Silkwood in the famous Silkwood case against Kerr McGee. Yeah. 
This guy is a total inside douchebag shill. And people, and you know, I hear Alex Jones trying to sell iodine pills. This is not going to happen. This is only, and by if you look at I, IPS, it's a big Agenda 21 corporation. I'm looking at it. It is totally. Ideas into action for peace, justice, and the environment, sustainability. This is a war against a cheap, uh, it could eventually be cheap, a cheap, clean fuel. And I'm becoming more and more of a nuke guy, I have to say. I mean, I'm no nuclear scientist. Uh, I don't see uh, Dame Astrid and Sir Mark dying of radiation. How many people were killed outside of the explosion there in uh, in Fukushima? None. Not from no one died from radiation. There were a few who could maybe have one percent more developing cancer in their life. Well, sucks. Happens. And this is where that that report comes from. This blog. Is oh yeah. Running. It's not a yeah. blog. This is a huge operation, John. This is not just a blog. Yeah, we have to look. We'll look into this in the days ahead to see who these people are. Yeah, these guys are absolute total douchebags. But uh, beware, you know, because people send me this stuff saying, oh, you know, we're all going to die. Fukushima, no, the media is not reporting on it. I'm sorry. My bullshit detector. I'm always disappointed when when people take us something that's superficial. I mean, we try to make it clear that everything is bullcrap until you look into it. And so but then they would take some rumor floating around from this maniac, you know, this this literal hysteric. Uh, and then they would pass it on to us as if there was some scandal going on. Yeah, the scandal is that you've been suckered into, into you know, you've been hook, line, and sinkered yourself, listener. Uh, and you should rethink, you know, wh- how you're approaching these these information items. You're approaching them wrong because, in other words, once we go away, you're do- you're doomed. And it works the other way, too. This is another one that I got going exactly the opposite direction. Headline. Wind farms can cause can cause climate change. Finds new study. Now, isn't this great? Everyone's like, "Hey, look! Wind farms cause climate change." <laughs> like, <laughs> again, you've been duped. Um, so everyone copy paste this headline, and uh, let me get. So that was the Telegraph in the UK. Here is uh, EarthSky.org. Um, no, so this is all people uh, anti-nuclear and wind. And it says, you know how you can use a ceiling fan to pull warm air down from the top of a room in winter? Which, by the way, uh, I'm a pilot. I've flown, you know, for every thousand feet, it's two degrees colder. So I don't know what you're talking about. NASA announced on April 29th, wind farms in Texas might be doing something similar. They appear to be acting as fans to pull warmer air closer to Earth's surface at night. As a result, according to the study of satellite data, whose results were released yesterday. An area of west-central Texas covered by four large wind farms warmed to a rate of 0.72 degrees. And was like, oh, look, 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 wind is bad. If you actually look at the report, this is what you need to do. Go to nasa.gov, look for the report. I know it's a pain in the ass. You got to use their search or maybe Google won't find it because everyone's, you know, the only thing that's out there is this. A little caveat in the report, the warming estimate applies specifically to this particular region and covers a time when wind farms were expanding rapidly. This estimate should not be considered directly applicable for other landscapes and regions, nor should it be extrapolated over a longer period of time as the warming would likely plateau rather than continue to increase 
if no new wind turbines are added. The warming is also considered a local effect, not one that would contribute to a larger global trend. That's the actual report. So you've got to be very, very careful. And I know a lot of blogs out there, you know, this is, I think, why you come to No Agenda. They'll be like, hey, <laughs> look, wind sucks. <laughs> yeah, it might suck, but not because of this wind study. <laughs> not because of this study. That's the point. I like wind as an alternative source, but, you know, having been in the Holland wind uh, areas where they have the big ones, those big monsters. Yeah, they're huge. Those things make a a creepy noise that just really just drives humans away. I mean, it's just not a good sound. Well, if we're fortunate, if we're fortunate enough to uh, to build our container home where we want it here and, you know, I've put in a low bid because, you know, frankly, can I afford and it's the the land is is owned by a a trust, so they don't give a crap. Or who knows if that happens? But it borders on a bird preserve. I'll bet you fifty bucks right now, because that's all I can I can muster. That if I put up a windmill, they're gonna they're gonna force me to take it down because I'm killing birds. Yeah, killing. Which, by the way, when I was in Holland, where they have these big monsters. And we went to giant wind farms. I never saw one dead bird. I mean, you think you'd be a dead bird down at the bottom, <laughs> don't you think? Yeah. Down at the bottom at the base where you're going. A couple of dead in. ones. Yeah, a couple of dead. There's no dead birds. Where's, the dead, where's all the dead birds? <laughs> I was expecting to see piles of pelicans. <laughs> piles of pelicans. You have created so many amazing show titles this, this time around, John. It's really good. All right, so uh, before wait before we go out or start to wrap, yeah, we got to mention something. I keep forgetting to mention, and unfortunately, it's so late in the show. I mean, we have to do it again. To the artists, mm. do not give us art that has the two of us in the art. We did that for a whole year, the early days of the art for the for the album covers, and we we stopped it. You, if you haven't noticed, we hasn't been a picture of Adam and myself. In the on the album cover for two two and a half years, so I don't know, know about that. I, one might have crept in, John. Okay, why, okay, maybe. I'm not sure. I about don't remember that. one no. recently, but whatever the case is, stop doing that and give us you know clever art that is you know relates to the show or some pun or something. I mean, Nick Durat is a good guy to take a look at his stuff because he does you know generally speaking quite amusing pieces that are all. Thorin is also quite good recently. Um, Anyway, so finally, there's one meme going around that I want to mention, which was I couldn't figure out where this meme was was coming from, but Mm -hmm. people kept bringing it up. And apparently it comes from uh, Morgan Stanley, I believe, and who I didn't realize this, but it's explained in this little clip, which is Morgan Stanley has been uh, following Congress, I guess, since, I don't know, the 1800s. Uh, in terms of how people are voting, because this meme has come up with, oh, we haven't had this kind of a Congress since 1870. And I said, well, who's making this stuff up? It's actually a fact. Play this. Political problem, but the political problems are very dominating that as a result of the last four years, our politics have actually become more polarized, less communication, less ability to to work across party lines uh, than it was in, in 2007, 2008. Actually, than it was in 1870. We do this count of the uh, party line votes in the House and Senate, and we are as polarized in our history as uh, uh, from, I think it's 1870 onward in the House, rather in the Senate, and just at the previous peak, which was arguing about Reconstruction. 
So I just found it to be a curious fact that they actually have been, Morgan Stanley, the big investment house, has actually been monitoring this for some investment purposes, obviously. And it's true. We haven't had a Congress this bad since 1870. That's it? That's your encore? That's your goodbye swan song? That's how we leave everybody with that? I thought it was uplifting. <sighs> okay, you finish then. <laughs> that sigh, a teenage girl's sigh. I bought the uh, Samsung Galaxy Note. Oh, why? Why? You're an iPad guy. No, I have no, 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 no. I, I haven't used the iPad other than for jingles, and I haven't used the iPhone for ever since you gave me that Google phone. I've been using that one, and that was just it was just well, becoming too slow. Phone. It was a very good phone. Uh, it's just becoming too slow. So you got that fight that that kind of that mid size thing that Samsung has a big phone. It's outstanding. The you and Leo. I know. Yeah, I know, apparently Leo likes it too. Yeah. It's an outstanding device, it, and I, I don't. Th- I don't need. Uh, it's very fast. I don't think I need any tablet. Right, this, it's a perfect size. I mean, I have big hands, so that works. It is. It, it's huge, and you put it up to your head, and you know, people like, whoa. Yeah, what's wrong with what's this guy? <laughs> but I don't make many phone calls. No, you, you don't call me. No one calls me. And so that's that's an uplifting. So way you to go. like that thing too? I no, I love it. I don't like it. I love it. That's a head shaker for me because I've played with it and I, I mean, I, I don't see anything wrong with the Nexus S, the one that you now think is too slow or whatever. It's too slow and too small. I like the size. It's light. You can put it in a shirt pocket. Doesn't make your shirt sag. Yeah, but you only actually use it to make phone calls. I mean, I use my phone continue. I mean, throughout the entire day, I'm on my phone all the time to collect stories from noagendanewsnetwork.com. You know, the, I can't have the, these little teeny keyboards are make, making me mad. So now I have a much bigger keyboard. Uh, keyboard. It's virtual, but it's a much bigger keyboard. Uh, and much more screen. I mean, I'm old now. I'm going to be 48 in September, so I have a harder time seeing. So it's, it's relaxing my shoulders. I'm not scrunched up all that much. It's very, very good. You should give it a try. You really should. And the LTE... By the way, that might save our ass one day. I get 20 megabits down on that phone. Five megabits up. Don't you get capped like right away? I, I haven't had it long enough to know. I have unlimited bandwidth. Whatever that means. <laughs> yeah. Well, I, I played with the phone, Leo's, and, uh, and I do have a gag for people. I played it on him, and he managed to get out of it. Go on, when you borrow somebody's phone, lock just it. take the no, you, well, you could do that, but no, I think it's better. You, you go and you go to the language and change the language to Greek. <laughs> because it's very hard to figure out what button to push to get it back, right? Yeah. <clears throat> yeah. And everything's in Greek. This is why I don't invite you over to the house. Probably. Probably one of the reasons. You do sure nasty crap like that. All right, it's a great gag. Eh, hilarious. Anyway, that's an uplifting, uh, an uplifting way to get out. And a reminder, timesheets are due next Tuesday. (laughs) (laughs) If you want your health care benefits, John. (laughs) Hey, thank you very much, everybody, for supporting the program. Go and get a mug, one of those really cheap, considering what we wound up spending on them, at noagendanation.com or a Mayan coin. 
NoahGinTheNewsNetwork.com is uh, continuously updated 24-7. You can also contribute to that. Nice to see people are creating WordPress blogs to add the feed. That's great. And consider your Cinco de Mayo donation, Dvorak.org slash NA. Coming to you from Austin, Texas. It is the capital of the Drone Star State. In the morning, everybody, my name's Adam Curry. And from northern Silicon Valley, where it's pre-Cinco de Mayo, I'm John C. Dvorak. We'll be back on Sunday. (laughs) Election Day. Right here on No Agenda. Dvorak.org slash N-A